Episode 94 of Mitch Unfiltered is available on most podcast platforms like Spotify, like Apple Podcasts, like Google Podcasts. Subscribe, listen, and even rate us. Become a patron by visiting MitchUnfiltered.com and click the button. Five bucks a month. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, as my old uncle Liz would say, look who's here. A little late because he was changing a flat tire. Yeah, but the flat tire thing made me shower, so you should be happy that I got a flat tire because then I was obligated to shower. I was covered in dirt and grease. I didn't think there was such a thing as a flat tire anymore. I thought the tires were so good Yeah, because I've seen this commercial. You probably haven't seen it because you don't watch the Golf Channel. Yeah, or commercials for that matter. There's a commercial out, at least there was a commercial out from Bridgetone or one of those tire manufacturers. Okay where they, they were shooting arrows into the tire. Oh. Boom, boom, boom. And they were still they were still able to drive on the tires. Yeah, no, I know. I think you're right. I think tires have come a long way. They have. It's I've been a while. I've never changed a tire. Does that come as a huge shocker to you? No, it sure doesn't. <laughs> I was going to ask you last time you changed a tire. I can't picture you oh. getting underneath the car. And well, doing I don't, the whole thing. you know, part of it is that I just, I just haven't changed a tire. The other part of it is, is that I don't ever remember... I don't think I've ever been in a car unless my memory is not serving me correctly. Yeah. I don't remember ever being in a car that actually had a flat tire, either as a passenger or as a driver. Hmm. I shouldn't even say this because right. this is the worst thing I could ever say. Because <laughs> on Tuesday, I'm yep. going to be caught on 90 on the side of the road. But I don't remember ever being even in a car that had a flat tire hmm. in the middle of it. I've, I've seen cars, like I've had cars, I think, where I go out in the garage and, oh, my God, my, my tire is low or yeah, flat. Yeah. You had a leak. A leak. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I don't ever remember being in a blowout situation yeah. where I would be confronted with the task of changing a tire. I don't know that I could. In fact, I don't think I could do it. I'm very, very impressed by your mechanic abilities. First of all, it wasn't my car, so that makes it even worse because it's, it's come a long way. They, they, this one hides the tire underneath the car. It used to be just a tire in a trunk, and then, you know, yeah. uh, it was this easy. Yeah. This, there's a little winch that sucks it up. I couldn't figure out, how to, I couldn't figure out where it was. Couldn't figure yeah. out how to get it down. It's enormous. It's an enormous well, pickup car, truck. Wait a second. Whose car is this? It's my father-in-law's, who was in but Arizona. But you were driving it, right? Yeah, we've been... It's your responsibility. No, it totally is. That's why I had to put the spare on. Oh. Yeah, because it's like he let us and use it. And why are you driving your, your in-law's truck? Well, did we, you need your in-law's truck? We did. We had to go to the dump. We cleaned out our garage and had to get rid of some stuff. So we went yeah. and borrowed the truck. He's in Arizona. He doesn't drive it. It just sits there. Right. So I connected the battery and we took it. Yeah. And my daughter loves riding in it for whatever reason. I don't know why. So, hey, let's take the truck to go get bubble tea. I was like, all right, let's to do it. To get bubble tea. Bubble tea. That was our whole goal. Do, tr- do people in trucks normally get bubble tea? Is that a good combination? I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what is bubble tea? That's another question I have. I don't know. There's another new phenom, and that yeah. is bubble tea. We were the eighth person in line. It's packed. These places are all over the place now. They are, yeah. Where did this come from, and what is bubble tea? I don't really know what it is. She just I, I think it's just another excuse to have sugar. It just looks really sugary, and, and she gets like this little bubble waffle. Is it different and, than the tea that you would get at Starbucks or Seattle's oh, yeah. Best Coffee? This it's is got, a different type of like tea. Like little tapioca Nuggets in there, like oh little little balls of tapioca yeah, and the enormous straw. This world. Yeah, I don't know bubble tea. No, so no. yeah, I changed the tire, but it was a nightmare because it's not my truck. I don't know how to do it. I couldn't find the jack. I couldn't find anything. The tire, it's a big truck. It's got the 5.7 liter Hemi V8 in it. It's a huge truck. What was that? Excuse me? It's just got this big motor. It's a big truck. It's got a, you know, it's got a Hemi in it. And yeah. the, the tire was heavy. I could barely lift it. I was a mess, but I changed it and I put more air in it because it was low and we got so home So now safely. it's running on a spare tire. Well, it's not. 
Well, it is. It's a spare, but it's a full-size spare as opposed to a, a space saver. So what's the next step? you got to go now take it somewhere, buy a new tire, put probably a new all, tire on Probably it. all four. I don't oh, know if they'll sell you one. Well, God. it's not mine. He'll do it. Grandpa's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I put the spare on. You're buying new, new tires, big boy. By the way, I forgot our thanks to the latest patrons. I always give you four, oh, yeah. and we make fun of their names, or we look, we look for other people with the same last names. Colin Scone. Okay. My favorite would be Blueberry. A Blueberry Scone. Yeah, Blueberry's good. Matt Welch, we could go with Grape Juice or Bob Welch, the former pitcher of the Oakland A's. It feels like the last group, there's a lot of food ones as well. It's always food with these with these patrons. David Schilling. Okay. I never liked his distant cousin, Kurt. Kurt, yeah. With the blood. Was that fake? Uh, I think. Was I that like a WWF, I, give a little cut routine? I yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a little skeptical of it. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, this next year. They're saying he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, really? Yeah, because he missed it last year by five percentage points. You need 75%. He got 70. And he's been going up. He's been trending upwards. Okay. So the consensus is, is that Kurt Schilling, like it or not, yeah. is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I know he's outspoken and he's very I far. I don't like him at all. He's very far right and he seems a little. Could it have been Red, red Magic Marker? Yeah. He wouldn't have done that, would he have? Well, what was the injury? Wasn't that like a sprain or a broken ankle? I don't, I don't know. Why would it bleed? I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. It never, never made sense to me. Oh, anyway, Schilling, thank you for joining. Yes, Colin Scone, Matt Welch, David Schilling, three of our most recent signups to be patrons at $5 a month. You get the episode, the, the freebie episodes on Monday, but then you get the the additional content, the, the full episode on Thursday. Yep. Like this coming Thursday, we'll have 94P. I was looking at 93. I was listening to 93P, which was last Thursday. And I just love sitting back and thinking about the random topics that somehow come up, even though we have no plans to bring them up. Well, I was going to say. And how exactly we get there. <laughs> trying to figure it out. Occasionally, we talk about things besides Dom DeLuise. Occasionally. <laughs> it's not all Dom DeLuise. No. How did no. he get in the mix? I, was he 93P? I don't know. I think he was 90. Was he 93 I just remember or talking about him. Like, I haven't yeah. thought about that guy Like, 93P, so this is true. And you tell me how we fi- None of this was on any of our lists. <laughs> Uh, we talked about Jack in the Box, Uncle Snap from Scranton, <laughs> Stealing Cable, Larry Holmes, Bobby Knight, Escaping Radio Stations after our shows, yeah. Carlos Hyde, Chain Reaction, The Match 2, Bobby Hurley, Drive-By Parties, Scott Socializing Again, Clowny, Ziggy Ansa, Drive-In Movies, Wayman Tisdale, Mel Turpin, Tom Brady's Personality, Michael Jordan's Jersey, and Cars on NFL Football Fields. None of those things. <laughs> I know. We, 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 I, maybe one or two of those things, but basically none of those things we even considered discussing but somehow that's where we go stream of consciousness i think we're ready for sports to return at some point oh my i mean God. maybe that's part of it right we're just randomly going off i did see that the cornhole oh championships is back yeah i see that on tv all and the they're time. wearing masks and there's no compare that's like the first thing i've seen besides car racing have you ever played back. cornhole sure are you a cornhole guy i've only played it like two or three times it's fun i, I was going the other day to play it and i got a flat in the middle of, on the way oh yeah <laughs> you couldn't make it <laughs> I play with my sister. They take it very serious, the scoring. Really? And it's like, See, I don't even know what the scoring. I know that you throw the beanbag yeah. from distance and you try to either get it in the hole or you try to stop it close to the hole. I don't know. I don't even know, I don't even know what the strategy of cornhole is. Yeah, I don't really know how you get. But like, no. let's say I get seven and you get six, right? Seven, six. Right. Then I, but I only get one point because it was one more than yours. That's how they score it. So, but I how do we get to seven? And yeah, how do we I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 it's a weird way of score. I think if you're like on the hole, it's 
two, or if you get it in, it's five. I don't know. It's fun to watch. Those guys are really good. See, now cornhole experts are listening to this getting pissed off at us. Kind of like you get pissed off when somebody says, how many do you get for a touchdown? You get five? Yeah. You get six. And how do they decide? See, you would get get annoyed with that person. So the the cornhole residents of Mitch Unfiltered are very, very upset and offended by our most recent remarks. Do you watch it at all? You, I mean, is it no, no, not. Interested? I mean, I see it that it's on. What am I going to do? Watch a guy throw a beanbag? <laughs> well, it's pretty impressive how good they are. If you've ever done it, it's more. Imp- it's like golf. I mean, people think golf's well, boring, but if you've played I it, I learned. I learned a long time ago, and I probably just violated my rule. Okay. I learned a long time ago as a superhuman fan of golf and mm-hmm. watching golf that I'm not allowed really to make fun of anything else <laughs> yeah. that people like on TV. That's true. As soon as you sign up for your card as a golf fan, you've lost the ability to make fun and call anything else boring because like 93% of of Americans and worldwide residents – think golf is boring, right. right? It's like being from the UK and criticizing someone else's cuisine. You're not allowed to do that. The food sucks over there. You, you, you don't even have a say. You can't even be in this conversation. You don't know from good food. Yeah, it's the same I thing. Suppose. So how yeah. do you want 94 to go? The world is fractured. The world is fighting. There's a lot of harsh feelings. It's been a really difficult week or 10 days. How do you think that this episode 94 should go before we start it? I just can't believe that our COVID masks now double as tear gas masks. Yes, they do. Who knew? Yes, they do. Well, what a great! I mean, what a great investment by yes, everyone. Yes, they do. Now we're, you get double the double the thing. That's, that's I don't right. know that it works so great against tear gas. And we're making jokes, but it's it's sad. It's really sad to see really? this, this country is just Awful. on fire. Awful. Yeah. So how should this episode ninety four? I mean, I, on one hand, we have what I would think is a responsibility to chat a little bit about what's going on in the world. I figured when we started Mitch Unfiltered that that would be what Mitch Unfiltered is about. Yeah, we're going to do sports. Yeah, we're going to be a diversion. Yeah, we're going to be an escape from everybody's everyday problems. But at the same time, I don't want to turn a blind eye to anything that's going on that's huge in the world. So I don't know how I've been kind of struggling internally with how I want to approach. We have three guests. I can tell you who they are. One deals with the madness that's going on in our nation right now. As we all attempt to process the George Floyd slaying and the nation's response to it, North Carolina Central University head coach Lavelle Moten was trending the other day on Twitter because of his willingness to share some really horrible stories that he's kept private for a long time. Hmm. And when I saw that, I said to myself, self, you've got to invite Coach Moten on the show to share those stories with your audience. And, you know, every once in a while, it's it's weird. I refer to a segment that we do as an important segment, and it's weird because I kind of feel self-aggrandizing to say that. Yeah. I kind of like I'm patting myself on the shoulder, and trust me, the importance has nothing to do with me. When I say we have an important segment, <laughs> it's always about what the guest is talking about. It's yeah. very rarely anything that you're saying. No. No. In this case, I would say that this Considering the heightened sensitivities right now, I would say that these 25 or 30 minutes that I spent with Coach Moten yesterday, everybody should listen to. Can you, Everybody should listen can to. Can you tease what the stories are about? Well, he went on Twitter and he told of some real kind of police brutality that he's dealt with as a black man from North Carolina, from Raleigh, North Carolina. Some really scary incidents and some near scary incidents that he's never told before. One of which 
involved a player that was an All-American basketball player at North Carolina for for the Tar Heels, who was getting ready to go to the NBA, so and it was his best friend, Ray, Ray Felton, Raymond Felton. Do you remember that name? I remember the name, yeah. Okay, he, he's Moten's best friend. Okay. So at the time, he didn't want to come public with the story mm-hmm. that happened to the two of them because he didn't want to damage yeah. Felton's NBA prospects wow. and so forth. It's a good but friend. But it, it's, it's a really, well, it's a great friend, yeah. but by not coming forward, there were never any consequences for the officers involved in this horrific situation that could have been very similar to the George Floyd. It could have the same outcome as George Floyd. Anyway, Lavelle Moten, he's a head coach of a division one NCAA basketball school, North Carolina central university. And I spent a lot of time with him just talking about the issue and talking about what, what people of color have to deal with and have had to deal with for the last many, many years. Right. And I hope, did you ever think that it would kind of go away once we started getting, you know, cameras on our phones and YouTube? I always thought it would sort of diminish this this kind of behavior. Remember the Rodney King thing was 92. We only knew of it because somebody happened to have a video camera, which was rare back then. But now with the smartphones and YouTube. Speaks to the authenticity, unfortunately. The sadness of what you're saying yeah. speaks to the authenticity of the hate. Right. Yeah, I guess. You, and they, they have cameras people, on them, too. They, they know it. <laughs> they know it. There's there's cameras. On, aren't there cameras on all the police cars? Yeah. And on them, they on know them. it. Yeah. So if it's still happening with now the invent of phones and all these cameras, Crazy. then what we're finding out is there is still this internal hate that so many of us, you and me, we just can't understand. Yeah. Don't want to understand, can't understand, but need to talk about it. Anyway, the other two guests on this, so we will deal with what's going on in the world in that segment and maybe at the first part of the first segment as well. Other guests, ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson is back. We have the seven burning Seahawks questions. And you created the burning, the seven burning? I created the seven burning Seahawks questions. What happened to Ziggy Ansah? Is that on there? No. Okay. (laughs) Just wanted to make sure. But some of your other topics are on there. Okay. Antonio Brown. Oh, yeah. Josh Gordon. Jadeveon Clowney. Would love to have them all. Uh, <laughs> Can I have them all, please? You would? Are yeah, you sure, sure about that? I'll, I'll take Antonio uh, Brown Quentin tomorrow. Quentin Dunbar. The seven burning Seahawks questions for Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, and one of the greatest baseball writers anywhere, our old pal Jason Stark, longtime ESPN guy, now with The Athletic, used to join me on our radio show all the time on this what I would call, especially considering the circumstances, an embarrassing financial stalemate between the owners of Major League Baseball and the players to try to resume. They can't get together on how to split up all this money. Oh. And therefore, there's a sense that we're not going to have Major League Baseball because the owners and players can't get together during a pandemic and during the kind of the 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 chaos that's going on in the country these bunches of millionaires can't figure out how to split money to play Major League Baseball, so all of us have something to enjoy. And they might get 0% of the money if they're not careful. They might well, get- no, they may get 100% of zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 100% of, of nothing, which is... 50-50, they'll split zero in half. Did I see that the Diamondbacks got rid of 25% of their employees? I think I remember seeing that. They they cut 25% of their employees. I don't know if it was... I think it was the Diamondbacks. Well, but. there's a few teams that are getting just skewered for the way they're handling payroll and minor leaguers, and it's yeah. just a really... I don't want to call it an ugly scene because what's going on in the country is an ugly scene, but it's a yeah. really unfortunate situation where Major League Baseball finds a way kind of 
kind of unlike NFL and NBA and NHL, they seem to avoid the issue. Hmm. Major League Baseball cannot get out of its own way yeah. and just step in on their own you-know-what. <laughs> right. They just can't figure it out. They, no, no one can get, take a step back and say, okay, this is not going to look good if we are arguing over billions of dollars right now and deciding whether we're going to play baseball. This is not a good time. There's never a good time to be doing that. This is like that times a thousand. Right. Let's not let's not make us at Major League Baseball just look like the world's worst. Okay. They, they have and a they, chance to be a real hero here. It's too late. Yeah, too late because too they're late. arguing overall. I mean, how, how do we how do we resume? How do we start a baseball season when the NBA is going to figure it out? And the NFL is going to figure it out. Yeah. And the NHL is going to figure it out. And college football and pro football, everybody's going to figure it out. Golf's going to figure it out. But baseball owners and players can't figure it out. Cornhole figured it out. Cornhole, Cornhole figured, figured it out. It out. Yes. Come on, baseball. Get your S together. Trust me, there's not a lot of those guys that can change a flat tire. Uh, well, amongst the owners, I'm telling you. Oh, that right amongst now. the owners, yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought you were talking about the cornhole guys. Each, every one of them can but change. They a flat all tire. love bubble tea. <laughs> yes, they do. Don't forget, Hot Shot episode 94. Just not possible without our terrific partners like Evergreen Gov Call. The market was up last week, scratching and clawing its way back. CEO Tyler A makes his Mitch Unfiltered debut right here on episode 94. Check out their website, evergreengk.com. Sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free, with offices along the West Coast, headquartered here in Bellevue. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. You know that Zeke's Pizza delivers. But get on the Northwest Craft Beer bandwagon. Growlers right to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Pay in advance. You tip in advance. Deliverer drops the pizza and beer right at your front door. It's delicious normalcy in the midst of a pandemic. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler is chomping at the bit, preparing to open its doors back up to all of you. No better place for special occasions. Purchasing gift cards at danielsbroiler.com. And don't forget about the Schwartz Brothers baked goods that are on display at your favorite grocery store. Same company, same fantastic products. Schwartz Brothers Bakery, Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses the kirkland office of gill mortgage 425-250-3150 low interest rates buying and refinancing opportunities abound we seem to be headed to under three percent on 30-year fixed mortgages with three top one percent brokers in the kirkland office alone jordan flowers has an all-star team interest rates cheap money buying opportunities the kirkland office of gill mortgage this is episode 94 and it begins right now unfiltered i don't think tom brady's got that great of a personality i've decided after watching the match i think he's a little socially awkward i think him and tiger for that matter and me but there's something about tom brady that seems a little uncomfortable in the limelight like tom brady was having trouble keeping up with the verbal war for now his game was in the toilet so maybe that was it he really wasn't able to stay with the mickelsons and the mannings of the world unfiltered they offered him something in the 
14 15 million dollar range i can tell you whatever they offered they ain't offering again i think the the ship has passed which scares me because i still don't think the seahawks are good enough on defense especially from a pass rush perspective to be able to be a super bowl winner there i think they're good enough to if russell wilson has a great year to be a playoff team and maybe a playoff team that wins a game or two but i still think they're missing a piece or two mitch is unfiltered Episode 94 is now officially underway. Mitch Unfiltered with the Mechanic. That's right. That's my new nickname. <laughs> Mitch and the Mechanics. There's act- oh, did you like Mike and the Mechanics? Well, I, I think I told you that I did the song, All I Need is a Miracle, the Derek Harper video from NBA. Oh, that's right. Was, oh, yeah, Mike <laughs> and the Mechanics. I could call you the Mechanic, but, but there's actually a golfer, for those of us that are nerdy enough to love professional golf, there's actually a golfer that's known as the Mechanic. Really? Yeah. Miguel Angel Jimenez. Oh, from I, Spain. I know who he is. Like, if I saw that name, I'd go, that's a golfer. Really? Yes. Miguel Angel Jimenez. Yeah, I totally Miguel know Miguel Angel Jimenez. I don't, yes, know the me- Spain. I don't know the mechanic part of it, though. He looks like a guy that should be a mechanic instead of a golfer. <laughs> Does he they like call the, him the mechanic? I don't know. But he does these crazy gyrations when he's warming <laughs> up. He's just, he's the most unathletic looking I mean, he he's the one who gives golfers a bad name. Uh, well, for you years. Think, you think John Daly that's exactly right. gives him a bad name? Yeah. This, yeah. Craig Stadler. Craig Stadler. Now, the Walrus, yes. Gives him a bad name. Did you once tell me he doesn't care for that nickname? Is that The do, Walrus? Yeah. Do we know if he likes that? I'm sure. I think he's I think he's embraced the Walrus. Yeah. Because I feel like you had him on and Really? Was, like in ninety six when I was working. Could the, be, could be. And I I remember saying something in your ear, like, I'm gonna call the walrus, and you're like, Don't don't call him that. Hmm. Don't call him that. <laughs> if that's the case, I don't remember. You don't remember. Okay. But anyway, it's good to have the mechanic. I'm glad yes. that you have survived your, your tire changing event. It's weird. I was in bubble tea mode. I was just like quick errand. I was not in. And the daughter was a great help. She lifted the car. <laughs> that's right. I actually had her screw on some of the lug nuts <laughs> so she could do something. She was helping a bumblebee oh. that was hurt. She's over there helping a bumblebee. Stop that. Yeah. She loves animals. And it was. She, she had a bubble tea in one hand. Yeah. A waffle, did you a say? A waffle, oh yeah, with uh, some cream you dip it in. Oh, oh it's my God. super it, healthy. Do you get that at? <laughs> yes, you get that at the bubble tea place. Of course, it was like cookies and cream okay. or something. Yes, and she's helping a bumblebee Correct. while you are schwitzing. Oh, you should. I almost sent you a up picture. A I almost. I was. You should have. I, I looked like I ran a marathon. It was so embarrassing how sweaty I was. Oh, I had. Dirt. Kind of like Tariko in his first telecast. <laughs> exactly like that, but covered in dirt as well. All right, episode 94 is underway. Now, we can we can go a number of different ways. I think there's an obvious choice for who we should name this show after, right? Yep. Uh, and it goes way outside of sports into the world, what we're dealing with now. But if you want to keep it to sports, which I don't think we will, but here's the way. You could go episode Ziggy Ansa. I think he wore 94. He's the back. Africa. You love yourself some Ziggy I do, Ansa. yes. Do you remember Chad Brown, number 94 for the Seahawks? Really good linebacker. Pittsburgh for a Steelers lot of your, first. Yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers yep. first. So the story with Chad Brown, a lot of people will remember, he may have been, I believe, the first ever huge free agent signing okay. of the Paul Allen era. The first I thing. Big one. Because huge. There was like Ricky Waters, but that wasn't a big Was Paul Allen the, the I don't know. He might have been. He might have been. Maybe I'm thinking the Mike Holmes. Anyway, I just I remember kind of an infamous story or a legendary story of Chad Brown when he became a free agent. Everybody wanted him. 
He was a linebacker, pro bowl linebacker, got yep. after the quarterback, what have you. Everybody wanted him, and he was making his rounds. He was doing the free agent oh. tour where everybody's throwing all kinds oh. of accolades and money. How great would and that be? And there's a story, and I, I think it's a legitimate story, that he was sitting in the conference room in Kirkland. I can't remember who was there, whether it was Holmgren or uh, the owner, maybe Paul Allen. I don't know who was there. And they really wanted Chad Brown, and he was getting ready to leave to go to the airport to go to some other towns. And they slid a check across, and they said, Chad, here's your signing bonus. Here's your check. You can take it to the bank right now, but you cannot get on that plane and go anywhere else. Wow. And he took one look at it. He said, I'm in. I think he went to – I think the story goes that he went into his car, his rental car, and he called somebody like his wife or whomever, his family or his agent or whatever. Maybe his agent was there. said – Cancel all the cancel all the rest of the trips. I'm staying here in Seattle. And then he was a pretty good linebacker right. for he a lot of years. Definitely here. wasn't a bust. He was really no. good. Yeah, I think he made two two Pro Bowlers while he was here. Does he have a thing for snakes? Yes. Does that? Yes. Chad Brown went to the University of Colorado, and <laughs> yep. he's got a thing for snakes. Okay. That's right. That, Very good. I remember that for some oh, reason. Yeah. Got a thing for snakes. Kind of a weird dude yeah. who loves snakes. So right. Chad Brown, I think, is is the obvious local one. If we're going to use a local one, okay. Bryce Fisher wore ninety four. He was a defensive end yep. for Mike Holmgren, I think. Uh, there was a punter. I don't even want to go through this, but there was a punter for the Washington Huskies whose name popped up in War 94. Okay. He, he's the all-time leader in net average for Washington punters named Rasp. His last name is Rasp. Like recently, in the last five or ten oh, years. okay. You're supposed to know yeah, I don't Washington know. punters, don't you? Uh, if you want to go national, you got yourself some Charles Haley, some Dana Stubblefield. Now, back to Charles Haley. Was he yeah. the one that went Niners, Cowboys? Yeah, he, was, he, he was like... He, he looked into his crystal ball, found out who was going to win the <laughs> world championship, right. and then he went there. I think I think he's got like 14 rings. He must. Yeah, yeah he's got I, a lot of rings. He always chose correctly, too. Yeah. The year the like, Niners won it, he was there. The year the Cowboys won Charles it. Charles Haley, that's yeah, right. That was smart. But I think the greatest ever in the history of sports, and you might not think of him this way because he's recent and you would say, yeah, good player. I don't know that you realize what kind of a Hall of Fame caliber player this Knicks guy was if okay. we're going to stay in athletes. The name DeMarcus Ware. Now, everybody remembers DeMarcus Ware, yep. right? Cowboys and Broncos, Yep. right? World champion. Did you know that DeMarcus Ware went to nine Pro Bowls and he was selected to the first or second team All-Pro seven different years? He is one of the top Jeez. 10 sack guys of all time, and he was part of the 2000s All-Decade team by the NFL. This is a this is a sure fire yeah. Hall of Famer. DeMarcus Ware is probably the greatest 94. Unless you're into race cars, Bill Elliott's race car was number 94. I don't know anything about Bill Elliott. NASCAR, I assume? Yeah, yeah. I think. I don't I think. I don't yeah. know. I don't know NASCAR from it. Yeah, I think it is NASCAR. Okay. Number 94. I I, I think I, I think it's pretty obvious who we should name the, the show after. Yep. But if we're gonna go athlete, I believe it would be it would be DeMarcus Ware. Hey, speaking of racing, really quick, I want to give a plug to a cool event that I was part of on Saturday, if you uh, don't mind. Yeah. I don't know why I'm plugging it now, but it was with, with all the turmoil that's going on in the world, it was really nice. We did a, a Forza race tournament for Special uh. Olympics. And Minecraft helped out because Minecraft and Forza are owned by Microsoft. So we joined forces and we put on this amazing event for kids all, well, it wasn't kids, it was adults too, all over the country who got to race virtually in Forza. And we had an award ceremony and it was a really cool event. So hats off to Minecraft and Forza this, this weekend. They did a really cool thing. And I, I hired a couple casters. You know, I, we brought in our, our play-by-play guy that i When I've you used. say we brought in, what does that mean? Well, he was broadcasting from Amsterdam where he lives, so he's broadcasting from his house. So everybody was virtual on this. Most people 
Now there's a because, as you know, the only thing I'm really concerned about <laughs> is me. So I want to know yes, who know. have you been exposed to? Yeah. Where have you been? I'm assuming this was all taking place in your family room. Well, you didn't go anywhere for this, right? I had to go to a right? studio. I had to you go to be a, blowing yes. out. Of, you didn't go to bubble tea <laughs> to do this. You didn't have any waffles or bumblebees. What? The problem was I was like their and backup. And by the way, you're glad. You better be glad she wasn't trying to help a murder hornet. Out. Yeah, well, I <laughs> I took a look to make sure. <laughs> I didn't think about that. God, you imagine that's how she goes out. Oh, She's like geez. the nicest kid ever trying to help oh. this wounded bee. Anyway, so I had to go to a studio, but I had my own room. I had a door that I shut, and then if anyone knocked, I put the mask on. And Where was this? Where did you go? It's in downtown Seattle. Oh, it's our old studio shot. we used to broadcast out of. Well, everyone had masks and sanitizer. Why couldn't you do it from home? Well, the problem is, is that I was the backup play-by-play person, and I'm really happy i didn't have to go because i don't know racing but i was the backup and you have to have a good mic and a process you have to have you know you're the, i don't have the setup you're the backup court. quarterback with the clipboard that everybody in the world roots never sees the field oh, that? yeah, that's <laughs> completely me i mean racing i don't know anyway oh. it was a really cool event you can so, find it on youtube if you want to see so it. let me let me segue and and, and i i said this during the tease i want to say it again that and I don't mean to sound like I'm, I'm tapping my or patting myself on the back. I want everybody who is listening right now to really consider listening to the next segment, the very next segment of Coach Lavelle Moten, who I talked about during the tease, I think is an important segment. It deals directly with police brutality and racial profiling and all the things going on. When you were, how many years did you and, and Rob do the, the Cube show, the morning show? 10 years exactly. Okay. He did it 14. I was there 10. Okay, so 10 or 14 years, you're doing a morning show. How did you guys deal with these larger-than-life stories that didn't necessarily fit the format? Did you ignore them? Or did you touch on them? Did you discuss it? Because here we face, it's a very similar question that I used to face on the radio show, although it's not as... It's not as an important discussion because of the fast forward button, because with radio, people can fast forward, right? You're right. stuck with whatever Mitch is talking about. Yeah. So it was a very important decision whether you were going to discuss what's going on in the world. Here, it's not as important because if people don't want to hear what we have to say about it, they yeah. just hit the fast forward button and go to something that is. But how did you deal with it back in your FM morning show days? I would say we touched on it, but if I had to guess, I would say Rob's view was if they want that, they'll go to a news Somewhere station. Else. You know, they, they, they come to us to hopefully laugh. Right. I think that was probably... Now, for, now, give me an example of an event. 9-11, we were off. Okay. So I, I, I don't can't, remember. I can't speak to that. But Something yeah. non-sports that happened in the world. I, I don't remember us really going deep on any of that stuff. We'd right. maybe touch on it in the first hour a little bit and, you know, to not ignore it, but then we would just go with our normal show. I think if I had to guess, I don't want to speak for him, but I think that was probably his view. Let's just make people laugh. They can okay. go elsewhere so for news. Okay, so we can move along because I, I feel like the next segment really deals with it straight on and is an important segment for everybody to hear, so I have that, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm comfortable with that next segment that I've already done. I think it's very powerful and very important, but I, I will say what's... The sadness in my heart. Now, I don't know whether you... Do you consider me a political person? When you listened to the radio show, when you worked on the radio show, now that you're working on on Unfiltered, would you consider Mitch kind of a political person or not? Somebody that goes there or doesn't go there? I think... I, I don't know if I considered you a political person necessarily on the air, but you do sort of... Hint, I mean, you are, you are interested in things outside of sports. So I don't know if that makes you kind of a political person, but no, I, I don't. I don't think you take a hard stand left or right if that's what you're asking. I would call myself very not a political person at all. 
I'm naive to politics in a lot of different ways. I mean, I'm not stupid. Right. I mean, I, I, I can understand certain things. And sometimes I make a comment that I don't believe in my heart is political at all. It has no it has no pull to the right and has no pull to the left. It's just something that I feel. I don't yeah. I maybe that's naivete speaking. And what I'm about to say is is something that I think falls under that umbrella. I don't view it as political at all. Now, somebody listening will say, of course he doesn't, Mitch. But, you know, you're an idiot because it is a politically charged comment. And that's what I've been feeling in the last seven to ten days about what's going on in the country and the protests in the country and and everything that happened in Minneapolis and so forth. The thing that I can't get my arms around is that 90 years ago, 90 years ago, that's a long time. Yeah. A lifetime ago, more than a lifetime ago. What's the average age these days? 77. Whatever it is. So yeah. more than a lifetime ago. Century. It's already not, almost 100 years ago. Yeah. Six million people in Nazi Germany and other countries were executed simply because of the religion they followed. That's it. Yep. That's it. That's the only, that was the only reason that they went to gas chambers. I got to repeat that. Six million right. people 90 years ago were terminated. Their lives were terminated million, simply yeah. because of the religion they chose. You think right? about 9-11, how many people died? 3,000? Right. Six right. million people. Puts it into perspective. But that was 90 years ago. And what I keep coming back to, call it political, call it apolitical, however you want to choose to look at it is that 90 years, I can't believe the sadness and the tragedy in this for me, going back to the Floyd murder in Minneapolis just last week, the fact that 90 years later, we are still judging people by the color of their skin. We're still judging people by their religion that they choose to follow. We are still judging people by gender. We are still judging people by nationality, where they come from. Yeah. We are still judging people by sexual orientation. We are still judging people based on things that they are that are out of their control. That's right. Yep. 90 years. It's 2020. I'm 53 years old. And we still and, and you made a comment to me either on or off mic about. It's amazing with all the technology and all the cameras and all the phones right. that people are still behaving in the manner that they that they have. Well, doesn't that speak to how genuine the bigotry is if a police officer or police officers in Minneapolis don't care that there are cameras on them? They don't care that people are watching. They don't care that there are cameras on the police car and on their bodies and they do what they do. Doesn't that speak to how how we judge one another it's just it's just inconceivable to me that 90 years removed from the holocaust we're still we still have an unbelievable amount of human beings judging other humans by things that shouldn't matter it's funny i was thinking about when i was in high school i was in the mid early 90s i would say and i remember being obsessed with you know michael jordan mike tyson you know, I loved Michael Jackson as a kid. I loved Arsenio Hall. Like, I felt like my whole life was, you know, BET, public enemy rap. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the 50s or the 60s right, right. where people were so judgmental. And I felt like we've really made some progress. It's here in the 90s, haven't we? 
we've really made some progress. I remember thinking as just a stupid 16 year old, you know, no one, it just didn't feel because you see those old reels of the, the water hoses and the German shepherds and it make you sick to your stomach. Right. I was like, wow, we've really made some progress. Right. And then you see something like this. Right. It's like, where right. are we? Do you remember when you saw Colin Kaepernick go on one knee for the first time during the anthem? Do you remember that? I do. Do you yeah. remember what your what your initial reaction was to it? Yeah, my initial reaction was at, at the time I don't I didn't feel like there was a, a hot news story about police brutality that he was necessarily protesting about. He I think was, there were a series of events. Okay, a series of events that led into that. But yes, I don't know that there was one profound like this example. Yeah, like this. Right. Right. And how did you feel about it? I thought, wow, did he's you, he's still he's still really going. Were you for okay it. with it? Did it bother you at all? It didn't bother me. I, I mean, but again, I don't really get bothered by that kind of stuff. If he wants to protest, you know, I, 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 I didn't look at it as disrespectful to the military. I just didn't look at it as that. Right. Most don't. Most didn't, I don't think. I remember Kenny G playing the, <laughs> playing the national anthem, and he would hold that last note for like five minutes. Here I was thinking Kenny B, but okay, Kenny G. The saxophone <laughs> yeah, guy. Yes, you know, yeah, to me, yeah. that's more the disrespectful. Seattle guy. Yeah. Seattle guy. And one time against the Bulls, Steve Kerr just started yeah. dribbling, said I'm out. Forget it. That seems more disrespectful I than was, the I was doing. actually called out on Twitter on the day that we're recording this by, by one or two people that remember my public comments right after Colin Kaepernick did what he did. Okay. And I remember thinking that that was not the right way. That was not the right way to shine the spotlight. I, I mean, I wasn't naive to think that there wasn't an issue in the United States right. and in the world. I got that. Yeah. It was loud and clear to me. I understand. But I didn't like the form of protest. And I said it on the air because in my mind – Look, I'm speaking, I was speaking out of my ass because I, I, I'm not a member of the military and I've never really been touched. I don't have a, I can't think of very many people in my family that were ever in the military. So I was kind of guessing, but it seemed to me that it was abrasive and offensive to the people who protected us and fought for our country. Okay. And to me, if those people were offended, the veterans were offended by kneeling during the national anthem, that to me was too high of a price for that to be the, the form of protest. Gotcha. So that's the way I, I, I came at this on the air. You were just sort of following the military's lead or the veterans' lead. Well, I lead wasn't following the lead. I was, in fact, I wasn't following anybody's lead. I was just sensing that people would find that okay. disrespectful. Know that have, have, have had kids go and not come back. Right. Right? Yep. And then in the subsequent months and years since, I've had a number of conversations, including Stephen Elliott, who was on episode 93, the last episode, who accidentally shot and killed Pat Tillman in Afghanistan, yep. right? I've had conversations with a number of different past and present military people. And I won't say 100%, but the vast, vast majority have disagreed with me. And I said, Mitch, you got us all wrong. We're not offended by Colin Kaepernick being on one knee. In fact, it's the opposite. We go to battle. We go to war. We volunteer our lives so that the Colin Kaepernicks of the world can do that very thing. And once I understood that and that I was way off base at the beginning, yeah. worrying about the sensibilities of not only, again, I, and I, I think of this not only as the people that go and, and risk their lives, but the mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters that send their loved ones and they don't come back. Yep. Once I got my arms around the fact that I was off 
Now, I'm, I'm sure. Now, by the way, I'm not speaking for all of them. I'm sure that there are plenty of military, former military people that would say, yeah, I don't like him. He, oh, he yeah. should not kneel. He for should sure. not kneel. It is offensive to me who went and fought in Vietnam. I'm sure there are people out there. But I'm just telling you, those that I have talked to, nine out of every ten were totally not offended by it and on the on the flip side actually approved of it. So I've changed my my view on that. I've changed my view on that. And if people want to kneel during the national anthem, I say all the power to them. If they want to call attention to something that's obviously still broken in this world, I can't believe it is. Yeah. It's again me by being Pollyanna and naive, I can't believe that 1930s right now it's 2020 and we're still doing this yep we still have problems with this it makes me incredibly sad incredibly sad and then you know we can we could dedicate three segments to protesting and is protesting you know <sighs> what kind of protesting is good i mean i think we all can agree the the hanger-ons the guys that the guys and gals that come aboard and say oh they're protesting i'm just gonna go steal something yeah. i saw somebody walking out of the cheesecake factory last night saw that with a, with, with, a, with a strawberry. It was a look, delicious. It look, look, did look good. And, and I don't know how she was able to... Be, there's all kinds of things happening around her. Yeah. And she and it, was, it wasn't even in a box. She didn't even put it in a box. She was just carrying a cheesecake out of the cheesecake. It's factory. like she just won a cakewalk at the fair. In fact, something very funny, if you want to laugh, did you see the... the the CB, the local CBS newscaster who was high, who was speaking, who was VOing yeah. the, the woman, she, she said like... They've broken into the to the to the to the local cheesecake factory, and there's a woman walking out with a cheesecake. We're not sure where she got that. Right, still unclear where she got. Still the unclear where she got that. I don't oh, know. If I had to God. guess, <laughs> it was a beauty. It was nice. It was really nice looking. I don't know what to do with my opinion on police now. What do I do with my opinion? My whole life, I'm I'm told it's a few bad apples. Is it a few bad apples? Yeah, I think I think it is. There's a lot of stories for a few bad apples that keep, well, maybe it's keep more coming than a few. out. Maybe that's more than a few. Our police, but I I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake, and I think the most ardent supporter and fighter for equal rights and racial and again anti-racial profiling, mm-hmm. I think would even concur with us that there are a lots and lots and lots and lots and the probably the majority of men and women that are police officers that are doing it the right way and for the right reasons. Yeah, it does feel a little unfair to sneer at a group that protects me while I sleep, right? It protects all of us while we sleep. Yeah. To sneer at them and say, how dare you? Because, right, they're not all doing it. No. But, God, a few bad – it doesn't feel like a few bad apples. It feels like a few – a little bit more than that. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around my view on the police as a whole or my or – my, you know – what kind of a person can put their knee on a guy's neck who's begging for his mom at that point can continue to do that? Is there, are there background checks? Are, you know, like, who would hire a person who has that in them? May, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I don't have it in me. I couldn't put my knee on someone's neck and have them beg for their mom and, and crying, say, help, help, I can't breathe. And continue. I just, right. I don't have it in me to do it. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm really struggling with how I, and I have friends who are police officers and they're nice, good, upstanding citizens who do it the right way. And I just, the whole police thing, it's, it, I'm really, I'm struggling with it. Well, you're going to hear in our next segment, I don't want to, I don't give too much of it away. It's a really, a really, for me, it was a very eye-opening educational segment with the coach who's going to tell you about some experiences that they've had. And I've asked, and I asked him this very question. And it, it seems like a lot of people want to, focus on you know police training 
and what they learn before they ever get to the streets, before they ever put a badge on, the way they're trained. And to me, that's naive, as naive as I am. That's naive. To me, it comes way before that. I would agree with you. It's the mothers and fathers and grandparents and what we're teaching our kids and the values that they're learning under our eye and under our tutelage. And I think they come to training before they ever get to training. Some people come come to training with a warped view right. of the world and of people. Is and, training gonna gonna change a guy like that? And I think it's up to views. you and me as parents. Yeah. That's where it starts, the grassroots, yeah. to set a good example and to communicate the right messages to our kids. I think it starts right there. Yeah, but probably right. That's just me. I, anyway, okay. I, really quick, I did yeah. see a positive out of uh, one of the protests in Seattle. There was two Seattle police officers. They had a guy down. They were, yeah. you know, one of the police officers had his knee on the back of the guy's neck. Yeah. The other officer literally grabbed the guy's knee and shoved it off. Sho- shoved the other police officer's knee off of him. Like, stop this doing This has happened that. since? This happened a, a like Saturday. During the, during the, pro- during pro- the protest oh in God. Seattle. A, a knee. Now, maybe they're told to put a knee on the back of the neck. I don't know. The guy was cuffed. He had his knee on the back. And the other, his buddy, the other cop, just like shoved his knee off. Like, knock it off. Stop doing that. Do, do you realize why we're out here? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. That, so I was, I was, you're I'm, opening up a huge can of worms oh. that I don't even want to go there. Um, because there's so much conversation of when you use the knee and how you use the knee. I was just happy he what, made the guy stop. Is, is, is the person that you're... Uh, that you're detaining is he is he armed is he dangerous is he fighting there's just so yeah. many questions that go back to the floyd fiasco in minneapolis that i'd rather just kind yep. of stop right there so uh lavelle moton please listen lavelle moton will talk about the kind of racial profiling that he and his family have been dealing with for so many years one or two incidents that he's never brought to the public. He's a head coach. He's a head basketball coach of a Division One college basketball program back in North Carolina. He was great and courageous to not only share it with everybody on Twitter, but to share it with our audience. Great. That's our next segment. And then some fun with Brady Henderson. Seven or eight burning Seahawks questions <laughs> with Brady Henderson. My guy, Jason Stark. Stark and I have this really unusual relationship from okay. our on-air days. We just giggle. We laugh at everything. So it <laughs> We, we find a way to take a, a really embarrassing, humiliating standstill between the Major League Baseball owners and players, yeah. which is really ridiculous and, in the grand scheme of things, very, very embarrassing. I we mean, still find a way to laugh. You'll, you'll, you'll hear us, the two of us, giggle the whole through, through, through the whole exercise. Remember how baseball was – they were heroes during 9-11, the first ones back, we're going to yeah. play. Yeah. I felt like they could have been heroes during the pandemic. What an opportunity. Find a way to get back. People are dying for well, sports. Well, you didn't want to get back too soon, and now it's about time to get back. And they're the only league that's trying to figure out <laughs> the millions or billions of dollars. Who gets it before? Neither. There's a report out that there are owners that don't want to play this year. That will avoid a lot. I'm hoping the Seattle Mariners ownership group isn't one of them. But yeah. there's been reports out that there are certain teams that aren't figure to not be very good. <clears throat> that That figure... We're better off just not playing this year. Oh, geez. So strictly financial, not yeah. safety. No, totally financial. financial. Yeah. God. Yeah. Well, good all luck. Right. Three guests. Then you and I will talk about all this other fun stuff and we'll get off of the, the, the ills of society. Okay? Let's do it. On the phone with the amazing Mitch Unfiltered partner, Evergreen Golf Call CEO, Tyler Hay. Tyler, haven't visited in a while. How are you guys at Evergreen doing through this whole mess? 
Mitch, we're doing great. Thanks for asking. I've kind of lost track of the the days, though. Is it like May 97th or 98th? (laughs) Yeah. What's it been like in the investment world? What's it been like just in your offices? I mean, obviously, you've been closed down. What's been the the situation with you guys? Yeah, our offices have been closed. And uh, for us, it's not hugely disruptive. You know, we, we were already doing a lot of stuff in terms of having people in different cities and doing conference calls and stuff like that. So not been hugely disruptive in that way. And actually, in some ways, it's been a positive because while we've been pushing clients to do more, you know, Zoom meetings, if they're if they're not available and, and, and they're more remote, this is sort of kind of maybe create a little bit of impetus to get that rolling. I'd imagine that with the stock market slowly recovering and interest rates down, that there are some opportunities that have arisen for your team and your team's clientele? Certainly, Mitch, when the market was down 37 from its peak, there were some really good opportunities. Today, I think that what people are kind of um, adjusting to is a new reality when they think of investing. You know, for the last 10 years, we've been in a bull market and my five-year-old could have made money by just picking stocks. And now I think that people are having to be a little bit more thoughtful about, you know, do I want to own airlines? Is it an opportunity? Is it a risk? Do I want to own casinos or hospitality companies? And then you think about, you know, how the tech sector looks relative to some of those other ones. And you, you might be deciding that just buying the S&P 500 and not worrying about what stocks are in it. I think that that might be kind of an old way of thinking and people are adjusting to this new way. OK, so I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener and I want to learn more about Tyler Hayes team at Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler, what would you say is the best way to do that? They can go to our website at evergreengk.com, and there's two resources there that I think would be most helpful. We write a weekly news newsletter, and it takes a lot of time, but it really does a good job at kind of conveying our thoughts on the market and our outlook, and that's available for free. And then there's also a financial personality assessment that we have on our website that allows clients to kind of tell us who they are, what are their investment preferences, and engage us that way. Hey, Tyler, thank you so much for being a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get on the link soon. (laughs) Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. There are 350 Division I coaches in America. I happen to be one of them. For that, I'm extremely blessed and honored to be one of them. But basketball is what I do, it's not who I am. I am Lavelle Moten. Now, y'all can do this two ways. You can look in that mirror and lie to yourself, or you can look in that mirror and be real with yourself. Let's make this the best game that we've played thus far. Let's play hard, let's play smart, and let's play together. The people that's being killed out here in these streets and losing innocent lives, and that's what Kaepernick was originally protesting anyway, they look like me and they look like my son. So I'm a basketball coach for two hours, but for 22 hours, I'm, I'm a husband and a father that has to make sure my child get back home. It was another hideous week for our nation in terms of racial profiling, police brutality. The Minneapolis murder of George Floyd has set this country back in so many ways. We are joined on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline by truly one of the finest, lesser-known head basketball coaches in America, North Carolina Central University's Lavelle Moton. Coach, it's great. It's great privilege to have you on. I just wish it was under better circumstances like your Eagles going to the NCAA tournament. That'd be much more fun. Yeah, that would be much fun, much more fun to talk about. But thank you for having me. Yes. You've lived with the heaviness 
of an unacceptable and really grotesque experience that you decided to share with the world on Twitter in the wake of the terribly tragic scene in Minneapolis. I I want you to tell your story to our audience, but before you do, maybe you can just help people like me who are fortunate enough to not know what it's like to have to endure this type of treatment, understand how much of a burden privately it's been for you carrying this type of incident on your shoulders individually for so long. I'll be honest, you know, it's um, it's, it's really difficult to say the least. And the thing about it is, um, you know, you, you, you go through so many experiences and you become so marginalized and feel so marginalized that it becomes a sense of normalcy for you, right? And so you have to, it it, it affects your mental health. Well, at least it affects mine. Um, I was waking up this past week, you know, having nightmares about, you know, some previous incidents that I've had um, with with law enforcement, you know, both as a kid and both as uh, a 31-year-old black man and you know and that was the story that i pretty much tweeted so you're you're faced to deal with this i don't know i'm struggling to find the words this this difficult circumstance and it affects you and everything that you do and it's often difficult because now i have a child and when i'm teaching my kid how to drive i'm not just teaching him how to parallel park and how to two and three point turn i got to teach him how to uh conduct himself in case he is pulled over because he may be targeted. And that's the harsh reality that I've dealt with. <laughs> and, you know, I've been a, a part of so many challenges and committees and, you know, things of that nature, whether it was Sandy Hook or the ALS challenge or the coaches versus cancer. And all of those things are wonderful because it taps into humanity, right? And any human being should have the empathy and sympathy for those matters. So I decided to tweet my situation because, it's much needed in this world right now. And George George Floyd could have been me. George Floyd could have been, you know, plenty of people that I grew up with. I know you're in the Washington area, but I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. And my big brother, my mentor, is a guy that used to play for the Sonics and coach the Sonics by the name of Nate McMillan. Sure. <laughs> right? He he was my big brother, my mentor, you know, in just growing up. So we we've all dealt with those circumstances, and I just decided to tweet it the other day. Well, let's go through it. I just want you to assume that most in our audience have not read the tweets. I have. Go back to May 2005. You're in that car with Raymond Felton, a a name we know uh, from his college greatness and and his time in the NBA. How old were you guys? And kind of start from the beginning and tell the story, if you would. Yeah, I'm a high school coach at the time in in my hometown of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, And Raymond Felton is a junior at North Carolina. Um, And we're really close. He's like my little brother. He's the godfather of my kids, uh, best man in my wedding, et cetera, et cetera. But at this time, we're just just two homeboys hanging out. Um, I have a... Yukon Denali at the time, and the, and the truck has tinted windows. And I'm riding back through my old neighborhood, and I have my mom on the phone. And I see in my rear view a cop just following me. And, I, uh, again, I'm so accustomed to that. That's that's nothing where we're from. Like, you get that all the time. If you go back into our neighborhood, chances are you're going to get that. That's just the law of probability. Um, so I tell my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to call you back because I know I'm about to get pulled over. She said, no, stay on the phone with me. And I was like, Ma, I'll call you back. And just seconds after, it seems like his siren went off and, uh, he alerted me to pull over. So I pulled to the side of the road and 
I put my phone on the on the dashboard, and immediately, um, you know, the, the the officer comes up. He yanks my door open, right? And he's trying to yank me out of the front seat, but I'm not I'm not going because my seatbelt is still connected. So I, I unhook my seatbelt. He snatches me out the car, and his partner has a gun pointed at my head, and. They haven't done none of the routine driver's license registration, none of that. Like, it's just straight zero to 100 for them. And I'm turning around asking them, like, man, what are you doing? And, so, and you know, they, they're shouting out expletives at me. And every time he shouts the expletive, he's, he's, his partner has his gun pointed, seems closer and closer to my head. So every time I turn around, they shell him, they're telling me to shut the F up. And now he's trying to get me to spread eagle on my, on my truck. And he's trying to get me to do that, but he's kicking my ankles. Like it's to do that. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. The way, uh, I guess the way a baseball coach would argue with an umpire and kick dirt on him. That's how he's kicking my ankles literally. Right. So he's telling me, uh, I, he need to search the car and I said, you're not searching my car. You're not searching my truck. Like, what are you talking about? He said, y'all look like dope boys, and I, I need to search this truck because it's dope in that car, and I know it's dope in that car, and you ain't going to let me search the car. Why, why, why? He, you know, he's steadily just coming at me, et cetera, et cetera. By this time, I know he's called backup, and he's handcuffed me, taken my head, and pushed me down. Uh, on the curve. On, now I'm at the back of my truck. I can hear my mother's voice coming through the phone, right? So mind you, this entire time, they don't know Raymond is in the car, right? Because they both ran up on my side of the, of the truck or the car, whatever, right? And they never ran up on Raymond's side and the windows are tinted, so they never really see him. All they can hear is my mother shouting through the phone and, and, and crying and screaming and, you know, she's in disbelief and so on and so forth. And long story short, he pushed me down on the curve, it's raining, and I have on all white, right? Because me and Raymond was going to an event that required you to wear all white. So it's raining. Now I'm sitting in a mud puddle, and his backup that he's caught has driven the car, and he literally drives on top of the curve, and I thought he was trying to run me over. And he throws on brake, and he get out his car maybe five feet away from me, and he pulls out his his gun because the other officers had their guns out. So now I got three guns pointed at me. Just so happened the backup's partner or buddy, he's in the passenger side, and by this time they're asking me to go in my car and get my driver's license registration. And I refuse. I said, I'm not reaching in there for you guys to shoot me, right, because you haven't done anything routine. You ain't even asked me no questions. You don't know my name, anything. So I said, if you want to know my driver's license or you want my driver's license, I'll give you my driver's license number because I've I've been taught to memorize my number since I was 10 years old in case <laughs> this ever happened. So, I, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, 16 years old in case this ever happened. So I know my driver's license number by heart. So I'm telling him that. So one of them proceeded to go run. I guess he go sit in the car. He's running my license or whatever. And the, and the partner of the officer that pulled up, he keeps glancing at me. And then he huddles the other guys up, and I hear Lavelle Moulton. So I'm, I'm assuming he said, like, yo, this is Lavelle Moulton. So he walks back over. He said, man, what, what is your name? And I said, Lavelle Moulton. He said, man, I thought I knew. And he walked back over there, and they're having their side conversation. And so my mom is still screaming. So by this time, Ray has wrote down his, 
his side of the window, and he's telling me, Vail, just calm down, calm down. So now they run up to Ray's side because he completely scared them because they never knew he was in the car until he said something. This probably 10 or 15 minutes later. And when they run up on his side of the car, they see that it's Raymond Felton. Now, we're in Tobacco Road, so basketball players at Duke and North Carolina are probably more popular than the star player on the Carolina Panthers, sure. right? That's how <laughs> Tobacco Road works down here. And the officers say, man, that's Raymond Fountain. So they go back and they huddle up, and the initial officer comes over, and he said, listen, man, I want to apologize. Um, you know, you fit the description. We thought you were some dope boys and blah, blah, blah. So he, he extended his hand for me to shake it. He said, I want you to accept my apology because I don't want you to think I'm a butthole. He ain't say butthole, but you get my point. And I refused to shake his hand. I said, man, no, it's too late for that. <laughs> you know, and they pulled off. I sat on that curb probably 30 minutes, and it was the first time in my life that I felt less than a man as a man, right? It was the first time I felt less than a man, courtesy of a man, because my life could have been taken away from me right before my eyes. And I had to really sit on that curve and gather myself and get myself together. Um, I get back in the in the truck, and I'm muddy, and, you know, it's, it's they were doing some more things. You know, as they were talking to me, they're really kicking mud and kicking puddles of, of, of dirt on me intentionally. And so I'm, I'm filthy. I get back in my truck and I'm kind of crying because I've never heard my mother cry for her son like that. Right. I come from a tough background. Um, I have a tough mom, a strong mom, and I've never heard her cry out like that. So that really affected me. So I'm driving, I'm in disbelief. I'm kind of mentally paralyzed by the situation. Raymond is kind of frozen because we're in disbelief. We can't believe it happened. So we're contemplating our options and so on and so forth. And this is May of 2005. North Carolina had won the championship and defeated Illinois in April of 2005. So Raymond is going to declare for the NBA draft. And I'm the only one that really knows that. He hasn't uh, announced that yet. And so I didn't want to make it go public because I didn't want any negative negative halo over his draft value, his draft stock, because I know how much he needed that. And if you remember, I don't know how much of a sports guy you are, but in 2005, if you go back and look, Carolina lost their first game of the season to Santa Clara, and Raymond didn't play. And the reason Raymond didn't play was because he came and played with me um, in my in a in a basketball summer league, and there was some paperwork issues, and so the NCAA punished him because he said that um, the league wasn't sanctioned, right? And so they took one game away from him, and I've always felt bad and guilty about that. So I always said I'm not going to distract or take away anything from this young man again, and so I never said anything because I wanted to protect him and his draft value at that time, so it never came out to 15 years later, and that, that was the tweet. By staying quiet, and I understand, you know, it was well within your right to stay quiet, but by, I mean, you knew this at the time, by helping out your buddy Raymond, these guys were walking away from consequences. Yeah. And certainly yeah. you, you had to internally fight with that, I would think, for many years that these the, these guys should have been – there should have been huge consequences to their behavior, but there weren't because it never got out. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always – you know, Raymond is the godfather to my kids, right? So that's how close we are. He was the best man at my wedding. I'm the best man at his wedding. And – my job as a big brother has always been to protect him, even if it means suppressing my own wants so his could be fulfilled. And I knew how much his family needed him to make it for their sake. So 
I was just an unselfish guy, and I took one for the team. So it it bothered me, but hearing him and seeing him go and become drafted the following month at number five, if I had to do it all over again, as opposed to it it, it creating some drama around his name and affecting his draft value, because you know, like I know, a couple of draft spots sure. equate to sure. million dollars. Sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. It, I would I would always do that because that's just the type of friend, you know, that I am. And the second thing, I never really – and this is what I wanted people to understand because the, my primary reason for tweeting it was to let people who probably are unfamiliar, you know, from a different population or from a different demographic, to let people know that that wasn't my first incident with the police, right? Where we're from, that's kind of common. When I was 12 years old, I was playing on the AAU basketball team, and we were scheduled to go out of town on the weekend, and I, my mom couldn't afford to give me $150 and all this type stuff to go on AAU trips. So what I always did, I always sold magazine subscriptions back then to, you know, cultivate money so I could go on my trips. And in my housing projects, probably four blocks down is the governor's mansion. So in that area is a place called Historic Oakwood, and I would always go there and sell my magazine subscriptions. Long story short, I sold some magazine subscriptions, you know, earned my money, and I'm walking back to my neighborhood, and I'm counting the money. And, and I'm 12 years old, seventh grade, a cop pulls up beside me, and I'm walking. So he's probably going two, three miles an hour. He rolls down his window. He said, hey, boy, what kind of money is that? And I never answered them because I'm not anybody's boy. Even at 12, I want anybody's boy, right? And, right. you know, uh, I just kept walking. He said, boy, where you get that money from? What kind of money is that? And I said, man, I'm not a boy. And I said, I told him, look, I sell magazine subscriptions for my AU trip or whatever. So he pulls up in front of me, cuts me off. He gets out the car, makes me spread ego on the car, checks my pocket for crack and drugs, right? And I had some money in my other pocket from the magazine subscription. He took it, right? And he took the money that I had in my hand, and he drove off, right? That was the nature of the police in our neighborhood, right? And so my thing is I wanted and, – and I went home, and I was crying when I went home. But I wasn't even crying because he humiliated me. I was crying because I thought I wouldn't be able to go on my AAU trip because that's how much basketball meant to me. Mm-hmm. So us being targeted and victims and, and marginalized – that had become a sense of normalcy, even for me at 12 years old. So the incident I tweeted about, that wasn't my first run-in with the cops, right? Like, it's, it, it happens on the regular. That was the first time a cop had put a gun to my head, and I feared for my life. Coach, uh, you got to go back to what the feeling is like to have to, to live with that. I, I mean, I don't want to sound weak, but when I'm driving down the road and a police car comes behind me just to change lanes— my heart stops. I mean, I get when I look in that rear view, rear view mirror and I see a police officer or a police car, my anxiety, my stress goes through the roof and he's just changing lanes to go somewhere else. I can't even I can't yeah. even conceive what it yeah. must feel like for you to have to just live with this in your life. Right. You know, it's difficult to, to say the least. Um, you know, obviously. You know, my upbringing was a challenging one and one that was full of adversity that I was able to make it through. However, 
um, you don't forget those circumstances. And as a grown man, they affect you because we didn't have the resources um, that's available to this world now in terms of mental health options and counseling and therapy. And like, we, we never had any of that. We were taught to bottle our emotions and just make it through the next day because each day we walked out of our home, it was literally a matter of life and death and whether or not we were going to get back in. So we had so much fish to fry. So, you know, as a grown man, it's in me receiving mental health therapy now because of some of the atrocities that I had to go through and experience as a young man. You know, I've learned to at least try to address these things. And I've had to learn breathing patterns and I had to learn self-care and self-love. And I had to learn um, listening to music that makes me feel good and putting my head in a space of peace and tranquility. Um, and it affects you every time when I when I drive. Number one, I rarely go out, right? Um, I rarely go out. Number two, when I drive, I always stay in the right lane on the highway. So I'm the guy that drives in the right lane of the highway, and you think I'm going too slow, and you're cussing me out because I'm going too slow, right? But that's just who I am because I don't want anything. And I'll tell you this quick story. Um, well, I always keep my license. I don't even keep my license in the glove compartment or in a, a armrest anymore. I keep it on top um, of of the dashboard, right? So he can see if in case I get pulled, right? And this is just the things that you prepare for. But a couple of nights ago, when I saw the George Floyd thing, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of dreams. I just, but I also believe that dreams come as a manifestation of your thoughts. And when you think about something over and over, chances are you'll dream about it. And that's, that was the case in my situation. And I had a dream about, the story that I tweeted and what I just told you. And I woke up like a cold sweat, right? Because I was scared. I was terrified. Um, I went and rushed in my kids' room to see if they were still living. Like, it just drives you crazy. It's a level of paranoia. And a couple of nights ago, uh, my mom probably stays like 35, 40 minutes away from me. We, I got my wife and my two kids um, in the car. They're 7 and 11, and we're driving down the highway. And my wife looks over at, at the uh, she's in the passenger side. She looks over at me and, and looks at the uh, speedometer, and she said, you need to slow down. And I was like, what? I was like, I look up. The speed limit is 55. I look at my speedometer. I'm going 45, hmm. right? And she's like, you need to slow down. Huh. And I was like, slow down. And then, like, maybe three minutes later, she said the same thing. And I'm getting agitated with her. I'm like, won't read something or listen to something. Get on your phone. Like, you ain't going to tell me how to drive. Like, you know, it was, I don't know if it was the quarantine thing or what. But I was like, look, just pay attention to what you do. You ain't get in this car to tell me how to drive. And she was like, I need you to understand something. She said, I don't need any reason or any built-in excuse for a cop to pull this car over and you possibly die in front of our family. And she had tears coming down her eyes. And that just... Man, mm. like it, it, it makes me emotional now just thinking about it, right? Because I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. That's what she's dealing with every time I go out the house. And, you know, the world don't seem to understand that. So my tweet was to kind of educate a different demographic and a different population um, who yeah. may not be as familiar with George Floyd. But 
just to let them know, look, man, this is this is not a movie. This is not entertainment. This is not a, a bad dream. This is a harsh reality for many of us. And a lot of us were fortunate to make it through and some were not. So we need to have some empathy and sympathy. Forget the black and white and forget about the, the Democrats and Republicans and all like your fellow human is suffering. We're suffering as a people like this. This is hurtful and agitating, and, yeah. and we need people that don't look like us to speak up and advocate on our behalf. I, I can't even believe it's 2020. It is the year 2020, right? I just, yeah. uh, listening to yeah. your story. Uh, Coach, did you think that you were going to die in that 2005 incident? What did you? What was going through your mind? What did you think was going to happen in the, in the moments before they recognized you and Ray? I was, I thought the worst. I thought the worst. And honestly, your emotions, they escalate to such a degree. And I hate to say this because it, it, it doesn't sound right when you're in a sane, rational state of mind. But they escalate to a degree where you're like, I don't even care anymore. Right? Because you're being so disrespected. Right? And we're all men. I'm not a basketball coach. I'm a man before I'm anything. And for someone to just rush me and go from zero to a hundred without the routine, without the the proper training and the protocol, you know, I expected the worst, right? Because he exhibited the worst. Like he, it didn't go from a a stable situation to an out of control situation. Normally it takes two parties for that to happen. All I did was pull over and now I'm getting snatched out of my car. So honestly, I expected the worst, right? And when he cuffed me and took my head and pushed me down on the curb, I, I, I wasn't sure I would wake up the next day. Coach, everyone is quick to point towards police training and what these men and women learn before they ever don a badge. But in my mind, isn't there so much more than that? I mean, if they bring with them a poor upbringing in terms of social awareness and values, isn't the training then all for naught? I mean, at the end of the day, isn't this really up to our mothers and our fathers and the grandparents to instill the correct values in our youth? Right. And that's that's exactly who who is up to. And, you know, I live in a neighborhood where our neighbors don't look like me. But our kids go out there and they play together, and it's one of the most beautiful things ever. They don't, obviously, they don't see color. They love each other. And so, obviously, this this hatred is taught. It's not, it's not something that you naturally inherit. And I think it's much bigger than that. And I had the opportunity to work in the school system. I was a, a teacher for six years. And... I always think it's a lack of education, and I'll tell you why I say that. If you look at any history book, um, let's say a 10th grade history book, 11th grade history book, um, let's say it's 300 pages. Out of those 300 pages, in, in public school systems, you only learn about five black people. So subconsciously, you only believe that five black people made a major contribution to the United States of America. And those black people are probably Harriet Tubman. They give you a paragraph of Harriet Tubman, give you a paragraph of Jackie Robinson, give you a paragraph of Rosa Parks, give you some Martin Luther King, and you might get, I don't know, a Jesse Jackson or a Muhammad Ali, like at best, right? Or Hank Aaron, right? And those are the five people. This generation may get an Obama, so they may get a six. But those are the standard five people. So, 
if I'm a young black male, subconsciously I'm thinking my my esteem is low because only five sure. posi- only five black people have made contributions that's positive to the United States. Conversely, if I'm a white male, I'm thinking maybe I got a sense of entitlement because only five black people have made a contribution to the United States, which means the other 295 pages should be filled with the positive contributions that my ancestors made. So now on one hand, I feel like you have one group of people that's walking away with the uh, a false education and also an entitlement, right? And not so much of an appreciation because history books, if you're reading that, they, they're kind of telling you that you're greater than. That's what it is, instead of learning the proper history. So I just think that attitude and that education going out here in this world allows entitled people to look down or look at us as if we're less than. And that's yeah. definitely not the issue, but that's how we're treated. Yeah. And you're looking at situations all this week, not just to George Lloyd. You're looking at Ahmad, and he's, he's jogging. Yeah. We can't yeah. jog anymore without getting killed. Right. Now, that, obviously, that wasn't the police, but, you know, it's, it's bigger than the police training. It's just these... It's it's these ideas and principles and beliefs of people that don't look like us that think it's okay to kill us, and not only that, it's okay to do that because we're going to get off. You look at Amy Cooper, what she did in in Central Park, yes, right? With, yes. with she she called the cops on Kristen Cooper yes. in hopes of that situation ending up like George Floyd, right. <laughs> Right. Uh, And that was televised. But it's so many people that don't have a voice or a platform or a camera where it's not being recorded with these stories. And that's the same thing as Emmett Till back in the day. It's still going on. It's still the direct parallel because it's always been the elephant in the room and no one wanted to truly address it. So as we finish up, Coach, what's the answer? I mean, guys like me who have a small pulpit in an audience need to keep the conversation in the forefront of everybody's mind. I get that. But what can Joe Schmo, who's listening in Seattle, driving down the road, big fan of Nate McMillan, big fan of the Seattle Supersonics, listening to Mitch and listening to Coach, what can each of us do? What's our part in all of this? Well, so much. Um, And I've challenged people of different races because here I do so much community work, right? Because my grandmother once told me, if people remember you as a basketball player, then you've done a poor job of living. So I, I'm, I'm actively involved in the community, and I'm, I'm showing so much love and appreciation to um, all races, especially the black race. And I think we just need the love that we've shown reciprocated. We need the sympathy. We need the empathy. If we say black lives matter, um, that doesn't mean we're we're anti-white. <laughs> that means we're pro-black. It means we love our families just like you guys love your families. And there needs to be some kind of empathy and, and sensitivity to that. And I'm a strong believer. No change has ever been made in America on behalf of black people unless it was people that didn't look like us also marching and supporting and speaking out against whatever we were speaking out or advocating for us. For instance, Vegas, as we know it right now, you know, it's the place to be. It's the strip of entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. But that place was once heavily segregated. And Frank Sinatra said, if you want me to perform here, then you need to allow my friend here, Sammy Davis Jr., to also perform and also Quincy Jones. And now the rest is history, right? Um, You look at 
1968 Olympics with John Carlos and Tommy Smith um, when they had to put on the black gloves and raise their fists on the stand. What people don't know is the guy that won the silver medalist, the white guy, on, if you go look at that picture, his name is Peter Norman, right? He was from Australia. He was protesting along with them for human rights. Um, you and I, I assume, are both old enough to remember MTV when MTV was strictly <laughs> music television, yeah, right? And yeah. they showed videos all day. Right. Well, they had a guy by the name of David Bowie who was a pop star, and I remember their interview, and they was like, man, you're a great pop star. You got tremendous videos. And I remember him cutting the interviewer off saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got great music and I got great interviews, but there's a guy named Michael Jackson who has incredible music and has incredible interviews. I mean, um, uh, videos and you need to show his videos as well and so that's why black music began to be played on MTV but all of those incidents it took white people to stand up on our behalf because I know for myself and I can only speak to me I've stood up um, with other races and we'll always do it again like I'm, I'm just a man of humanity I, I've my team is an all-black team at HBCU, historically black college. We wore green bands for Sandy Hook when that tragedy happened, right? Um, you know, we did the coaches versus cancer. We did the ALS. We, I teach my kids to be human beings and show love and, and project love, and hopefully that can be reciprocated. So that's kind of a long-winded answer for what we need from, for people that don't look like us. Coach, you're beautifully articulate. You're very brave to have both carried this internally and then share it with the world as you have. All of us in our audience and all of your fans on Twitter and all the fans of your basketball program are indebted to you. So I thank you for being a huge part of Mitch Unfiltered in this episode. And I promise you that the next time you and I are going to speak is when you guys shock the world as like a 15 seed. You're going to beat a two, and then you're going to go to the second <laughs> round of the NCAA tournament. It is great to uh, catch up with you, and I look forward to our next time together. Thanks so much, Coach. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Look, I know it's the heaviest of topics on a podcast that takes pride in making you smile, but there's just no denying the kind of upheaval we've seen in our great nation that way too often just doesn't seem so great. My thanks to Coach Lavelle Moten for his great courage and eloquence and for being a part of this episode 94. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza right now is Zeke's president, Dan Black. Dan, what's new in the world of Zeke's? You guys hanging in there? Yeah, no, it's been good. As we've talked about, people have been really supportive of homegrown businesses with local ownership from the get-go. And so as this thing hit, that really carried us and got us going and then uh you know as we've talked about too our business model is pretty resilient and we were able to rally around takeout and delivery as our catering and the biggest thing has been that the northwest has discovered beer delivery in a big way and they've discovered that zeke's is the best at it and so people are out there definitely drinking to get through this a little bit and uh like i say they've been coming to zeke's to do it do you think that when this is all said and done, hopefully sooner rather than later, this will continue the momentum of beer and wine delivery for you guys? Will continue into into normalcy? Yeah, I think it's permanent. It was something that people were discovering, you know, even before this hit. It was a segment of our business that was growing quite a bit, just based on the buzz and stuff. I mean, it's a national story at this point. I think it's permanent. I just think people now realize that. Beer and pizza is one of the best combinations there's ever been, and they realize that, you know, they basically now got a tap house at their house if they want to order from Zeke. So, yeah, I think it's permanent. Pizza, salads, beer, 
wine. Remind all of our Mitch Unfiltered listeners the easiest way to go about making Zeke's a part of our kind of a regular routine while we're stuck at home. Yeah, I use the app, and it's just because once you sign up with your email and stuff, you're really just a couple buttons away from your order. And the stuff you ordered last time is like one touch and stuff. So it's it's definitely the easiest. Uh, online at Zeke'sPizza.com is good, too. And then, you know, we still got our crew there in the call center. Sometimes if you got a complex order or something, it's it's easier to call, and that's 206-285 to go. 206-285-8646. So they're all good. Like I said, I use the app. I'm forever grateful for our partnership. Thank you so much to Zeke's Pizza for being a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Mitch. Take it easy. Unfiltered. Free agent defensive end Jadavian Clowney has reportedly turned down the biggest offer on the table from the Cleveland Browns. Thanks, but no thanks, apparently. And Russell Wilson throws 31 touchdowns and five picks. Throws for over 4,000 yards. Now get him Antonio Brown and, you know, Greg Olson there now. So, yeah, I think it would change the dynamic of how we look at NFC teams if they had a top-flight receiver like that. Episode 94 continues with seven, or should I say eight, burning questions with Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider for ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. I have seven Seahawks questions, but I have one more that's much more important than all of the rest combined, Brady. Mm. I'm afraid of what that question is. (laughs) I want to know, Brady Henderson, who raced off the golf course to be with us on episode 94. A week ago, I was watching Tom Brady and Peyton Manning play with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. A week later, I'd like to know whether Brady Henderson's golf game is the same, (laughs) worse, or better than that of the, what, six-time Super Bowl champion, 12-time Super Bowl champion, Tom Brady. I want to know right now, who who would win straight up Brady versus Henderson? Tom Brady would win. So I, I heard, I think, leading up to the match that he's like an eight handicap or something. So he, he's a couple strokes better than me. My round went pretty much the opposite of his, where he was spraying it all around early and then some mid- midway through that round he stuffed that approach shot i actually almost did the same thing on the first hole and then uh, i proceeded to i don't even know what to say I, I played bogey golf basically from there on out so i was speeding home a so that i could be on the mitch unfiltered podcast <laughs> podcast but also because i was in such a rage uh that i developed a bit of a lead now foot. wait so a second that's, that's how my round now went. you want me to take responsibility for the bogeys because you had me on your mind do i get credit for the birdie when you had me on them how does that work no you only get credit you only get the blame for the bogeys the birdie was on me the, okay. the bogeys are on you though by the way bogey golf based on what i saw last week bogey golf from brady henderson would be easily good enough to beat tom brady <laughs> in an 18 hole match play by the way well i'm playing from the whites at druids glen whereas he's playing from i'm sure a, a much tougher course from probably some tougher teams okay. so not not quite apples to apples okay all right are you ready for the seven let's do the seven burning seahawks questions for episode 94 these are not any particular order first of all if Quentin Dunbar is either guilty of a crime and therefore unavailable to the Seahawks, or if he's just suspended by the league and not guilty of a crime and he's not able to play for the Seattle Seahawks, I'm going to ask you first the question that I asked you last on our Seahawks no table, and that is, are the Seahawks as a defense and on a team better right now than they were 
when we last saw them in 2019. Yeah, I mean, if uh, in this scenario, if Quentin Dunbar misses time, then I'm going to have to say no, because when you asked me that question last time, I think my answer was that they are slightly better, and a big reason for that was because they made what at the time and what still seems like to be a pretty big upgrade at one of their you know biggest holes uh, on defense, not just on defense, but on their roster. So if, if under this premise, Quentin Dunbar is not playing for whatever reason, or if he misses a good chunk of time, then it's hard to say with the fact that there is no clowny and you know maybe that possibility is not dead but he's not in their plans right now it's hard to say it's hard to imagine that pass rush being better a lot of things would have to go right you know the offensive line i think that's an area where they could be better but just as a whole if quentin dunbar was one reason why i thought they were going to be slightly better if he's not playing then it's hard to make that case so you think without dunbar the seahawks as a team are not as good as they were last year well, I mean, I don't know if there's a huge drop-off. Maybe they're about the same. I mean, it's, okay. you know, it's so hard to say. It's actually hard for me to really to get a good feel for still, you know, months later, how good that team was last year. They won 11 games. They had one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL playing the best football of his career. But they won 10 games by a combined one score. And, um, you know, I think I made this point at the end of the season. You know, it was hard to tell at times if that team was punching above its weight. Um, and, and so it's hard to get a good feel. You know, teams never really pick up where they left off, so it's not always easy to say, well, they were an 11-5 team last year. They added this, this, this. They lost this, this, this. So this okay. is what they're going to be based off that 11-5 and record. Um, but just if you're looking at it on paper, yeah, if Quentin Dunbar isn't there for an extended period of time or, or if not the whole season, it's hard for me to say that on paper they're a better football team. Burning question number two for Seahawks insider Brady Henderson of ESPN and ESPN.com. You mentioned it earlier. Is the clowny possibility with Seattle now officially dead in your estimation? No, I don't think it's officially dead. I don't think it's likely, though. And, and the reason being, you know, as I reported, you know, a month or so ago, you know, their best offer to him uh, that, that's already been made. And, and if he were to come back, um, whether it's in a week from now, two months from now, closer to the start of the season, it would have to be for significantly less money uh, than what they offered him the last time. And I don't know what those two numbers are. If I had to guess, I would say that their offer to him was around $15 million. And the number that he would have to come back under would probably be under $10 million. And I think that the thought is that, you know, he's probably going to get that from some other team. And I guess the flip side of that is, you know, what if, what if the same thing that happened to the Seahawks happens with other teams? And we've heard Cleveland, uh, you know, Adam Schefter reported uh, recently that they offered him the most money. I have heard the same thing. I've heard that they offered him a ton of money. And, and what if the same thing that happened to the Seahawks, which is, he drags his feet, and that offer suddenly is not there anymore. What if that happens with other teams, and what if he is left with no other choice? You know, what if the Seahawks are sitting there, and um, you know they're the only team there? I still think that based on their cap situation, you know, they'd have to cut several people to make that happen. Okay. Um, so that's why I say it's not totally dead, but it just does not seem okay. likely because the best offer that they've made uh, to him has already come and gone. Well, then, therefore, Brady Henderson, burning question number three for the Seahawks is. If you had your choice, Jadeveon Clowney or Benson Mioa and Bruce Irvin, you can have both Irvin and Mioa or Clowney. Which would you choose? Oh, that, that's a tough one. I mean, if you're talking about Clowney, you know, the 2019 version of Clowney who, you know, played in 13 games uh, and was way more productive than the sack totals would suggest, 
I would probably say him, even though I think a big part of the reason why he only had three sacks was because he never had that complimentary rusher to take some of the heat off him. So even then, I would, I would probably say Clowney. But I do think, Mitch, that one of the reasons why I, I really wonder this, one of the reasons why he is still unsigned in late May, early June, you know, I have to wonder if the injury situation, as, as much skepticism as there already is around his health, I've got to wonder if that's maybe worse than people realize. And, and the team that, you know, look, the, the team that just had the guy or that, you know, they're going to know more about the health situation than any other team, even more so than, than the Houston Texans. And it, it just makes me wonder the fact that they, a team that needs pass rushers as much as they do, uh, why they have not made it a priority to sign him. That does make me wonder if there are more concerns about the injury situation. Maybe it's, um, you know, the, the knee that, that he was on the injury report with that he had trouble with earlier in his career. Maybe it's something else that wasn't on the injury report that we don't know about. It just makes me wonder if that situation is worse than maybe people realize. Burning question number four, for Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Will the Seahawks, per Russell Wilson, consider Antonio Brown and or Josh Gordon if Gordon becomes eligible with the NFL. I don't know why we're all just assuming that he's going to become eligible again by the NFL, but there's burning question number four. Would the Seahawks consider either one or both of those two guys? I think Josh Gordon would be way more likely than Antonio Brown, and, and I don't even know how likely Josh Gordon is. I know, you know I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I'm wondering why there is all of a sudden you know, this thought. That I think people saw that you know, Alton Smith got, or Alden Smith got reinstated and, and are assuming that the NFL is suddenly going to do the same with, with Josh Gordon. And what I would remind people of is you know, Alden Smith last played in 2015, so the ball on his reinstatement had started to roll a lot earlier. And you know, Josh Gordon is still in the very early stages of his indefinite suspension. And so I have not gotten the sense that anything is imminent there. I do know that he loves Seattle. He loved playing for the Seahawks. Uh, That's why he still lives in the area is because he loves this area so much. I just don't know if that's as likely as people seem to think it is just based off the fact that Alden Smith has got reinstated. As for, for Antonio Brown, I think the Seahawks will do their due diligence. Uh, Maybe they've already done their due diligence. I, I just have a hard time seeing that for a number of reasons. One is that, um, you know, guys that they have taken, a, you know, a quote-unquote risk on personality-wise, there was the Percy Harvin, but there's been more guys that, you know, it's, it's other issues aside from just being, you know, a potentially divisive figure in the locker room. And Antonio Brown, is, he's got allegations of some pretty serious crimes against women. He's got, it, you know, one issue after the other in the locker room. And so I have a hard time, you know, I've, I've kind of been under the impression that, Ever since the you know the 2015 situation with Frank Clark uh, and the backlash from you know that draft pick, I've kind of got the feeling that you know they are really going to shy away from players with any sort of domestic violence or anything like that, and and that's why I have a hard time. Uh, if if that was the only thing in Antonio Brown's past, I would have a hard time seeing them go after him. And as we know, that is just one of many issues with him. Seahawks burning question number five is: Should the Hawks have spent? up to $4 million on Carlos Hyde in a backup role at running back. See, I, I'm going to give you two answers here because and, and, I, I see this two different ways. If you accept the premise that they are a run-first team, team that, that needs a lot of running backs just because they are, you know, last year they were the second most prolific uh, rushing team in terms of non-dropback percentage. So basically the, the amount of offensive plays that you're trying to run the ball with your running backs they were number two in the NFL behind Baltimore. 
So if you accept that premise and you, and you realize what happened last year when they ran out of running backs late in the season, then, yeah, I think it makes sense because we all know the situation with Chris Carson um, you know, coming off the hip injury, Rashad Penny. There's a really strong chance that he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. You know, there are other running backs. DJ Dallas, the fourth-round pick that they signed, uh, or the fourth-round pick that they drafted, he is really not an early-down guy, more of a, you know, a pass catcher out of the backfield. Then I think that makes sense. I think there's a debate, and this is maybe a separate conversation, of should they be a team as reliant on their running game as they are? And in that case, maybe you could say that that $4 million, uh, that might have been better spent elsewhere. But for what they want to do, yeah, I think they needed Carlos Hyde. And, and the other thing I would remind people of is you know, $4, $4 million, from what's been reported, that's the most he can make out of that deal. There's incentives in there. There's per-game roster bonuses. So the guarantee is much smaller than $4 million. And if he ends up maxing out that deal, that means that they needed him to max out that deal. Burning question number six for Brady Henderson. Any chance with the signing of Carlos Hyde that we don't know everything about Chris Carson's health situation and we're just assuming that Carson's going to be ready for training camp and preseason and opening day? No, I, I don't think it's, it's as much about Carson as it is about the other running backs, or at least I don't think it's about anything we don't know about Carson because you know, we know that he's finished you know, two of his first three seasons on injured reserve. We know how hard he runs. We've seen him jump over guys and go ass over tea kettle in midair, and I don't think that, condu- that style is conducive to playing a full 16 games. And so I don't think it's anything we don't know about him. I think it's more the rest of the running backs, too. You know, as I just said, you know, Penny, the feeling in the organization is that he's more likely to begin on PUP, more likely than not to begin on PUP, which means, you know, missing at least the first uh, six weeks of the season, if not longer than that. And as I said, DJ Dallas, he's really not a guy who, uh, or Travis Homer for that matter, are not guys that they would feel comfortable with plugging in uh, in that early down role. We saw Travis Homer, he, he looked decent. Uh, in week 17 when he started last year. But then the next week, I think you kind of saw some of the limitations of a guy who was really, I don't think, in their system and their power running system is really built to be an early down guy. So I don't think it's anything we don't know about Carson. I think it's the running back situation as a whole. And burning question number seven, the final one for Brady Henderson is, what will Jordan Brooks be? What will his role be right out of the gate, starting in the opening day. What will his role on this defense and on this football team be? I think it's going to be as a starting weak side linebacker. And, and John Schneider said on the radio the other day, uh, he was asked a similar question, and he said, look, you know, they're going to have to figure that out because there's, they have more starting caliber linebackers than they do starting spots. And one you know, idea he proposed was maybe you move K.J. Wright over to the strong side. I know that that wouldn't be K.J. Wright's preference based on what he said before. I know he prefers the weak side, but he's maybe not in you know, a position to really dictate that at this point. So, and Schneider also said that K.J. Wright's coming off shoulder surgery, and, and he seemed, uh, he being Schneider, didn't really seem committal uh, or didn't really seem to have a firm timetable on when he might be back. So I would say that whether it's K.J. Wright having to miss part of the start of the season or K.J. Wright simply moving to the strong side, I, I do think that Jordan Brooks is going to be starting, and if I had to guess it would be the weak side. I just have a hard time with as many issues as they had on defense imagining them taking a linebacker there with an idea of having this be some sort of redshirt rookie season for him and, and not with an eye towards getting him on the field somehow, some way. So the bonus burning question is, when will be the next time you play Druid's Glen, and what will you shoot? 
the next time, I don't know, I was playing on a free pass that expired uh, at the end of the month. And so, you know, I had to get that in before the month expired. So um, I guess the answer is whenever I can get my hands on another free pass. (laughs) And what will you shoot? I will shoot a uh, a 77 to beat my best score there by one. I'm always I'm always focused on the positive. So I'm going to better my my uh, if you're telling me that you're going to shoot 77 the next time you play Druid's Glen. And you can't beat Tom Brady in a match. I just, I refuse. Those two things just can't coexist. Those two worlds, are just, they, they collide. It's impossible. Well, look, I don't have Phil Mickelson giving me a detailed, you know, hole-by-hole <laughs> breakdown of everything, telling me which which direction oh, the grain of the grass is coming so yeah. I know where exactly, you know, what type of pace to have on it. So, yeah. look, I'm out there all by my own, and, and I, I've got my rangefinder, though, and I've got – and the carts there at Druid's Glen, they have the uh, the GPS there. So something Follow the him on Twitter. Read all his work on ESPN. And ESPN.com. He does a great job. ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson, our guy on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Brady. Thanks so much. Uh, you got it. Thanks, Mitch. Always nice to catch up with ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson. If you are a 12 and on Twitter, following Brady is a must at Brady Henderson, B R A D Y H E N D E R S O N. Time to visit with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. I'm seeing 30-year fixeds in the low threes and projections that it'll be in the high twos in 2021. What do you see, Jordan? That is accurate right now, Mitch. Consensus is that they will continue to tick down here between uh, now and the end of the first quarter next year. The outlook for the next 12 months is very strong. So if I'm a listener of Mitch Unfiltered and I'm looking at my current mortgage numbers and I see 3.5%, 4%, 3.8%, what I'm paying, does that mean I should automatically pick up the phone and call Jordan Flowers a Guild Mortgage or... What would be the telltale sign that I should pick up the phone and dial you up? Yes, anything in the high threes and above certainly warrants a phone call. The old adage is a full percentage point drop in interest rate, anywhere between a half to a point or more in percentage drop might make sense. And then there's also the options, as we've talked about, looking at converting your 30-year into a 25-year or 22-year or 20-year and dropping the interest rate even further and keeping your payment the same or a little less, but cutting off three to five plus years on your mortgage payment. So anything in the high threes is certainly worth and higher is worth a phone call. All right, so Joe Schmo's listening right now. He's got a 4% number on a 30-year fixed. He calls Jordan Flowers. Jordan Flowers gets him into what? And we don't start all over again, right? He continues, if he wants, he continues right where he is in his mortgage payments. We can set it up to any amortization term that he wants, 20 years to 30 years. On a 30-year fix for your listener at 4%, we would be looking in the low to mid threes, depending on loan to value, credit score all those factors, but definitely low threes right now. If people are interested in uh, paying a point, we might even be looking at 3% or below. Tell everybody how they call Jordan Flowers and his team and how long of a phone call are we talking about until you or a member of your team can say, hey, here's what we can do for you comparatively speaking to what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a quick, easy phone call. Uh, Direct line into my office is 425 Two five zero three one four five. You can also call the two five zero 
3150 phone number. Right. Uh, and you would get Mindy at my front desk. Five to ten minute phone call just to kind of get an idea of where you're at right now, what your numbers look like, and where interest rates are currently. And then we follow up with you with a uh, mortgage coach, loan estimate, and see if the numbers make sense based off what your goals are trying to be achieved. Perfect. Also, a very hot buying market right now. Lots of multiple offers. Prices are escalating. Again, good time to be looking at listing your home or jumping in and buying right now. Again, Jordan Flowers and his team ready for your phone call. All it takes is a call to find out whether they can do something very beneficial for you financially. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. Episode 94 continues with this seemingly bitter negotiation and stalemate between Major League Baseball owners and players and how to divvy up the money, get back on the playing field. And of course, all of us fans are caught squarely in the middle. Here's our old friend, always been kind with his time to the old radio show and now the podcast, Baseball Hall of Famer. That's got such a nice ring to it. Jason Stark of The Athletic, of which I'm a subscriber and a huge fan. What a nice ring. Baseball Hall of Famer. But then again, if I called you Schmageggy Hall of Famer, it would still sound pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in a lot of Halls of Fame, but if, I, if you're going to pick one, the Baseball Hall of Fame is a good one. I, and I, like, technically, I'm not really a Hall of Famer the way like Ken Griffey Jr. is a Hall of Famer. But I did win the Spink Award. I was honored with all those guys, and it was amazing. You are a Hall of Famer, and are, it's beauty. Hall of Famer is in the eyes of of the beholder. <laughs> All right, you okay. did it. You did Let's a, go with that. Uh, you did a great piece on, in the Athletic on what not playing would do to a sport that, in your estimation, has never fully regained its place in American culture since 1994. Go back in time and kind of sum up your piece and your thoughts for our listeners out here. All right. Well, I, I've covered way too many baseball labor talks. They're never pretty. They always look awful until they don't. Um, but I did cover that one in 1994-95 that did not have a good ending. And I'll never forget, Mitch, being on the conference call with Bud Selig when he announced they were canceling the World Series. And I was the guy who asked, how do you think history is going to view this moment in time, Bud? Bud didn't really foresee history blaming him forever. <laughs> but I, I think now we know that's what happens. If you're the guy who's responsible for, for your sport at a time when your sport decides it's not going to play out a season, you're going to get blamed. And that would be Rob Manfred's legacy forever if that's how this turns out. So I've got, like, I've got two sides to my brain. There's the, there's the realist. There's the, the, the part of my brain that says, 
I know the NHL is going to play. I'm positive the NBA is going to figure out how to play. The NFL is definitely going to figure out how to play. Baseball cannot possibly allow itself to be the only sport that doesn't play. That would be a really horrendous outcome. And yet, you know, I I talk to a lot of people. Uh, There are people who always kind of make me feel better. They're not so sure that that's actually how it's going to turn out. So there's some element of doubt, man, and that would just be a nightmare. Well, let me jump ahead because I had it to ask you and you just brought it up, so I'll just ask it to you now. Why can you break down the answer for all of us who are asking why is the NBA not having the same issue? At least we don't think the NBA is having this uh, this issue. Uh, why is the NHL seemingly not having this issue? Why is it always Major League Baseball? I don't get it. What's the problem? <laughs> well, baseball was the first sport with a union. Uh, that's never been a pretty picture. I mean, there's 60 years worth of reasons. You know, other than that period where Michael Weiner ran the union, and Rob Manfred was the lead labor negotiator. And those two had an incredible working relationship that got them through, I want to say, two labor deals. You could, you could possibly go three, depending on how you view who's in charge. Um, other than that, it's always been a mess from start to finish. And I, I got, let's, just, Mitch, let's just take this example. Think about the proposal that Major League Baseball never made, which is we don't know how much revenue we're going to take in this year. You don't believe our estimates. So why don't we just count it up at the end and we'll split it 50-50. You know, if this were a different sport with two different parties doing the negotiating and you didn't have all this ugly history, and, you know, you would say, wow, that's a good idea. Yep. Like if you were a Martian yeah. who never lived on Earth, yeah. you'd look at that and say, well, that's really fair. But that's not the history. And so there's so much distrust that they can't get to a place like that. And, you know, right now, one side's on Mars, the other side's on Saturn. And somehow they got to find some planet in between. So what are the numbers if the if the owners get their way, they have this sliding scale that I see where the biggest name players and the highest paid players would be financially dinged the most. Did I see that Mike Trout, instead of $38 million a year, would get $6 million for playing half a season? Uh, did I read that right? That can't uh, be right. Those numbers aren't exactly accurate. <laughs> but uh, in general, the highest paid players would work for like one third of the salary they negotiated. I, I should say the high state players would get about a, a fourth of what they negotiated. The guy who makes $10 million would get about a third of what he negotiated. And the guys playing for the minimum would get pretty much a full prorated salary if they played half a season. But here's my advice. Don't spend five minutes analyzing that proposal because <laughs> that is going nowhere. I promise you that. Okay. So, uh, the part of the proposal I think that's more interesting to fans than the actual numbers and how much these already very wealthy guys are going to make would be these numbers. Three weeks of spring training, three exhibition games, and an 82-game season that ends in late September followed by the postseason. I, I guess my first question, if, if that's a snapshot of where we end up, what kind of baseball, Jason, are we going to see Uh, Are we going to see pitchers 
throwing for three innings, starters going for three innings, and then the bullpen the rest of the way. What 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 will the product look like with 21 days to get ready for a, a regular season? Well, let's look at those dates, first of all. Not that June is a deadline, but June is a month. <laughs> like, that's an important month. We put the counter to June, and they still don't have any kind of agreement. Uh, that's worrisome. If you're thinking you're going to play on July 4th, you know, you got you would have to get a deal done in a week to have a, enough time for teams to get their facilities up to all the requirements in the health and safety protocols, and then bring in players, test them, make sure they're not sick or infected, uh, then train for three weeks, and then get started on July 4th. Like the calendar says it's really going to be challenging for that to happen. And so the options are, if you can do a deal at all, you're either going to have to squeeze spring training into a shorter period of time, which means starters are going to be less ready to go even fewer innings, uh, or you start pushing back dates, start dates, end dates, number of games you're going to play. All that stuff is not etched in concrete. Uh, Anything is possible. I think the sense I get is all teams have told players, we're getting ready to play. So start ramping up. Don't act like this is December or January. Act like you just showed up for spring training and you're getting ready to play in a game in a week or two. And I think pitchers will be more ready, but they're not going to be ready to go deep into games. No chance. And so how are we going to look back upon that season that you just described? Tell you, you, you just talked about 1994. What are we, 26 years removed from 1994. In 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and we look back upon that silly, crazy, ridiculous 2020 season, <laughs> we will say what, Jason Stark? We would say two different things if this winds up like 94 and they don't finish uh, versus if it winds up like 1981. And even though it's a shortened season, not because of a strike, but because of a virus, they at least have a postseason and they have a winner. Um, but nothing about this season is going to be normal. You can use a lot of words to describe it. Normal ain't going to be it. The question is, if you play about half as many games as you usually do, and then you have a whole different postseason, more teams, neutral sites, all that stuff, how would we look at the team that wins? Uh, I just wrote about this. Uh, I looked at two questions. One was, suppose a team like the Indians finally win the World Series for the first time since the 1940s, would it feel like they broke the curse? Uh, I check with Terry Francona, who manages the Indians. He would accept the trophy, in case you're wondering. Uh, I, then I asked, what if somebody hits 400? Uh, How would we look at that? Uh, uh, I called Joey Votto, the last man to hit 400 over any stretch of 80 games. And asked if he thought he would have he would then have been considered to have done the same thing as Ted Williams did in 1941 and he said no 11 times <laughs> um, and here's what he said Mitch and I, I, I thought it, it, it put it so well he said he thinks that what baseball players do is they play they do stuff they achieve stuff and it's up to us people like you and me to look at that stuff and tell the story of what it means, what it represents. So 
I've come to the conclusion asterisks are never a good idea. But telling stories, putting stuff in perspective, it's what we do best. So we're just going to have to do that and just recognize it was one of those strange years in the lives of America. It's not up to you and me because one of us is in the Baseball Hall of Fame and the other one of us is in the Schmageggy Hall of Fame and we know which one is which. (laughs) But I I get you. I I get you. I understand what you're saying and we'll just have to kind of see how it goes. Tell me about the podcast you're a uh, a regular podcast host now. You've joined the fray. I am. You've you've jumped yeah. into you've jumped into the deep end with all us lunatics. <laughs> Exp- explain it to yeah, us. See how you inspired me again. See? Uh, Doug Granville and I. Uh, I once covered Doug Granville as a player in Philadelphia. He's one of my favorite players I ever covered, just because he's so smart and so funny, and we talked to him about anything. And for a really long time now, we have been talking about how much fun we used to have, like just talking about crazy stuff. Uh, I'm the reason I asked him a question one time, and he wound up meeting Tyra Banks because of his quote. Right, so we thought let's find some medium where we can do what we do and and really have fun together, but talk about some really cool and different stuff. And so. And that's how the Starkville podcast came about. And we've been doing it about a year now. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any place podcasts are, are sold. Past week, we had Dusty Baker on. week before that, we had Mike Tolan, an old friend of ours who also happened to be the executive producer of The Last Dance. We've had Sean Doolittle. We've had Terry Francona. We've had some really cool guests, Bob Costas. Coming up on the next edition, we'll have Joe Madden, and we get into all kinds of stuff. Some of it's hilarious, some of it's deep, most of it's way in between that. It's a really fun medium, and I know you're finding that too. Yeah. It's called Starkville? Is that right? Starkville. Yeah. Correct. Well, if you've... Not set in the actual Starkville. You will not have to travel to Mississippi. (laughs) Well, if you've truly learned from me... If you've truly taken a page out of my book, when a guy like Dusty Baker and Bob Costas scheduled at 1 o'clock Eastern time, I hope you don't start the interview and you make them wait until about 1.45 or 2 o'clock Eastern time. <laughs> I know a guy who used to do that all the time. <laughs> Was I on time Not today? Name any names? Uh, okay, all right, this is like a role reversal thing because I wait for them. Uh-huh. Anytime they're ready, I'm ready. We've had a few times where we scheduled an interview for one time, and then the person we were interviewing thought it was at a different time because he forgot or because he's in a different time zone. Uh, all, you know, all the usual reasons, not the kind of reasons that used to make me wait. <laughs> <laughs> and see, then we wait. That's what we do. I just want everybody to know okay. for the record, I want everybody to know for the record that my pal Jason Stark and I, it doesn't matter what day that we're recording this, all you need to know is that we were scheduled to record this interview, Jason's time, 4 o'clock in the city of brotherly <laughs> love, and I called at 3.59, 3.59. I was one minute early, so you can deduct that from my debt over the years. 
Okay. You only, you only owe me seven hundred and twelve dollars. That's how much I need to get back on my life. Oh, I love but you. It was cool. It was a great, it was a great moment. It was a historic moment. Uh, I appreciated it. I love you, Jason. Thank you very much. I hope you and your family all well through this entire ordeal. Uh, we'll be listening on Starkville. We'll be following you on Twitter. You know how I feel about you personally. I've always really, really uh, kind of kept you close to my heart. Thank you very, very much for being back with us on the podcast, and I hope that we can do it again soon. Mitch, it's always great to talk to you. Be well, and just let me know when that Schmageggy Hall of Fame induction <laughs> ceremony is. I would like to be there. Will you? Uh, will you present me? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to need more information. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jason. Mitch, great to talk to you. There he is, Jason Stark of The Athletic. I know the Major League Baseball owners are stubborn, and I fully recognize that Major League Baseball players are at times pretty greedy, but I refuse to believe that in the midst of what we're all going through, that these two sides can't and won't figure the money out and get their asses on the field. Thanks so much to my old friend, Jason Stark. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without partners like Daniels Broiler? Not very far is the answer. And you don't need me to tell you that we must support local businesses and families like the Schwartz family during these times. It's vital. The same family that owns and operates Daniels also has Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, known since 1903 for their traditional bagels and rye bread. Founded in 1973 to make pies and other desserts for their restaurants, Schwartz Brothers Bakery now offers a delicious selection of the fresh breads, bagels, dinner rolls, hamburger hot dog buns, as well as pastries like cinnamon rolls and coffee cake and Danish, and so much more at QFC, Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, Metropolitan Market, PCC, and other local supermarkets. For a limited time, you can also find Schwartz Brothers Bakery, Frosted Shortbread Cookies, and Lemon Bars at select Costco warehouses. Schwartz Brothers and Brenner Brothers, proud to continue to provide the community with bread and essential baked goods during these challenging times. It allows them to keep many of their team members employed and look forward to the day when Daniel's Broiler locations can reopen and those valuable team members can come back to work. Daniel's Broiler, Schwartz Brothers Bakery, and Brenner Brothers Bakery, staples of the Northwest community forever. Unfiltered. stuff segment time hot shot scott a week ago on episode 93 you had no idea that the nfl was about to vote on a huge rules change that's right an ability to get the football back late in the game when you're behind after you score a touchdown other than the onside kick an alternative not a substitute because the uh, the onside kick still stands but an alternative to the onside kick was going to be a fourth and 15 from your own 25-yard line that you could do twice. I, I can't recall. Did you say you liked it or didn't like it a it, week ago? It felt weird to me. I didn't feel like it, it – I felt like really good teams who were always ahead, they didn't really benefit from it yeah, at all. Yeah, people got mad at you for that. Yeah, one guy yeah. just really came after me. <laughs> I, 
I'd like to respond, but it's on Twitter. That's just I feel like I can't. I would love to have a conversation. Well, with Well, it's them. a moot point now anyway yeah, because good. the NFL voted it down for a second consecutive year. Oh, okay. They said no, no, thank you. Do we ever get to see the vote? Did no, it, I, I, I would like to. to. Yeah, I don't know how close it was. Yeah, I'm curious. It turns out, by the way, the difference between this proposal and last year's that got voted down. Yep. Last year's they wanted to do it from the 35 yard line. This year they want to do it from the 25 yard line. Your own 35 versus your own 25, okay. making it much more penalizing yeah. if you don't get it. They get you, they get the ball at the 25, and then the, you, you turn it over right there. But anyway, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Good. I can because sleep now. at least for another year, it's <laughs> yeah. not happened. It felt a little XFL-y to me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. January 10th, 1981, the NFC Championship game at Candlestick Park. The San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys, the game was called the catch. Dwight yeah. Clark in the end zone. With Graz apparently standing there somewhere watching And he it. may have taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl. That was Jack Buck. And the catch, the catch is made by Dwight Clark. And he may have taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Something like that. Now, I don't, I don't want to correct you on who made that call, but I was very surprised. There's a reason. That's why I'm bringing the game up on who was on the call for CBS. No, no, I'm not saying that Jack Buck was oh. on the call for CBS. He was on the radio call. Oh, that's the radio the call. National radio call. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> I, I you felt dare. weird correcting you. There is <laughs> a out there somewhere. You'll find a radio call yeah. of Jack Buck going, and he may have taken okay. the 49ers to the Super Bowl. On the radio. No, I would guess it would be Pat Summerall. No, not Pat Summerall. The NFC Championship game, I would have guessed Pat Summerall and John yeah. Madden or someone. Yeah, but it big. may not have been. 81's a little early yeah, maybe yeah, for, for John. Madden. He might have been coaching, coaching at yeah. that time. Yeah. Who was it? Vin Scully. Oh, yeah. And Hank Stram. Yeah, I kind of know that. I was like, that Vin Scully? There can't be two. The Dodger guy who was there for 55 years? Yeah. Who knew yeah. he did oh, football? Oh, he did everything. Oh, he did everything. Okay, see, I didn't everybody, know that. Oh, he did everything. You were about Golf, to say everybody ten- knew that? Oh, everybody knows that he did everything. <laughs> really? He did everything, yeah. Except for me. You think of him as a, a Dodger That's and baseball right. Oh, no, he did everything. It'd be like if I heard Dave Niehaus no. was calling football no, for- No, And Hank Stram was fabulous. He was actually Kleptomaniac. Is now that, that he's dead, right? I think I can I can I can say that. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, he'd steal he'd steal he'd steal your watch right from out, out of your arm. Now you said earlier you didn't think flat tires existed anymore. Yeah. I didn't know kleptomaniacs. Oh, kleptomaniacs, are. they're big. They're making a big comeback. No, he was he was a renowned kleptomaniac. He would go into what? Me- yeah, he would go into like hotel meetings and something, and come out with the ashtray. He'd be putting stuff. In. He didn't even know he was doing it. Oh, oh yeah, but great guy, great guy. My favorite. <laughs> Oh, Hank Stram. Great tribute. Oh, but a great oh, guy. Oh, no, great guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he had a problem. I mean, we all have problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a kleptomania. I mean, he he take odd things. You just take things. But, but, but great coach. He was mic'd up at the Super Bowl. You remember those high line? Let's matriculate it, fellas. We're going to matriculate the ball down the field. But yeah, his yeah. Fi- my favorite, he had a bunch of isms, a okay. bunch of Hanks when he went into broadcasting. My favorite, I don't know why this makes me giggle. My favorite Hank Stram ism. He would, he would look at like a big offensive lineman or a tight end or somebody, and he'd say, hey, hey, Jack, he's got deceptive speed. He's slower than he looks. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That is deceptive. I love that. I loved, I loved Hank. Yeah, him and Vince Scully were good together. I was like, I, oh, yeah, I, sure. I was, I, but Jack surprised. Buck. And he may have taken. <laughs> you go looking for it after today's right. episode. You'll find somewhere Jack Buck calling the radio the radio call of that catch. You remember the catch, right? Rolling out. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, he yeah. almost ran out of room, Montana. 
The wreck ran out of field at the very last second. He, yeah. I think he pumped it maybe twice, and then the third time he threw yeah, it. Yeah. And the DB for Dallas. Yeah, I, I, he make I, a good play on the ball, didn't I, he? I don't think he thought that. I think he had money on the Niners. <laughs> it looked like he did because he didn't even jump. Or maybe he thought there's no way this guy's getting uh, to it. No way. Hot Shots got Iowa surprised. Forbes magazine, not that Forbes magazine came out with the top 20 highest paid athletes of the last of the last 12 months. Now you're going to ask me, is it 2019, yeah. 2020? I think it's I think it's a little of 19, a little of 20, but I'm not sure. Just okay. the last 12 months. They came out with the top 20 highest paid athletes. I've got the top 10 in front of me, and I was stunned. Hmm. At how few I would have gotten right had you found this and come in. It was right, roles were reversed yeah, right yeah. now and you've said, "Mitch, let's see how many you get right." I would have gotten very few. Huh. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things. I would have got, like, like when you sent me that picture of the 1983 All-American team. You're sick. Yes, and you got them all. I would have done a lot better in that than I would have done on this. Okay, is it, so is the, I don't know, is the NBA, are they paying their players? Can I say LeBron James? Is he you on You can, there? yeah. LeBron James is on the list. Okay. He's like one, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. He's fifth of all athletes over the last 12 months. He has made uh, 88.2 million dollars now this includes now you understand this includes both what you make on the court and what you make in endorsements so like okay. he's 50 million in endorsements 28.2 so so 78.2 sorry i'm misreading it 60 million in endorsements 28.2 in salary and winnings so 80 whatever that is 88.2 is it current athletes so like michael jordan can't be on there for his business dealings that he does he rides all people who play or is jordan on there because uh, I know he's still making a ton of money. He's every still year. making a ton of money. Yeah. I guess Jordan's not. I guess these are active, active, paid athletes. Now, there's yeah. always an F1 driver, and I, I can't remember his name. Is there an F1 driver in the top 10 or top 20? No, no one in the top 10. I only, okay. I only wrote down the top 10. No top drivers 10. in the top 10. Oh, boy. I got LeBron. How about a baseball player? How about... Um, I mean, some of these guys, you're going to be like, what? They made that much money? Like, when I list some of these guys. Is Mickelson on there? Mickelson's not on there, but... Tiger. Sure. Number uh, number eight, sixty two point three million dollars. I don't think we've quite appreciated his comeback, even though I know he's not winning tournaments, right? Well, but what a comeback! That's he's a the- segment in itself. Okay. I, have actually, I actually <laughs> right. have a lot of thoughts on that. Okay, being somebody who who fell pretty pretty uh, publicly. Yeah. Um, Tiger Woods made sixty two point three million last year, but think about this: sixty million of them in endorsements. Two point three million in salary. So the majority of his money, he's not only in the top ten, he's being trusted by companies who have come to him and say, "We love your comeback. We love what you stand for yeah. now. We love your growth as a human being." And I, as a guy who fell, I love that. I love the fact that he's in the top. Yeah, 10. it's great. I, I love, love the fact, and it's not just money that. He, I mean, if he went out and just won everything and won twenty million on tour, that'd be one thing. But he's he's making the majority of his money from companies that trust him to be their face. Yeah, it's which nice. I love. Which I love. It's a good comeback story. It's a good story of second and third and fourth chances. I I approve that message. It's probably in the political season. Stupid to not name Money Mayweather because his name is Money. He had didn't. He must not have must, fought. Yeah, yeah, I don't retired. think he fought in the last twelve yeah. months. So I'll just give them to you. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna go. A couple of them you go. Oh, okay. But some of them you're gonna go. What? Uh, Roger Federer was number one. 106 million dollars last year. Jeez. Teach your kids to play tennis. And it's, by the way, it's all almost all endorsement money. Oh, is that right? He just gets tons of endorsement money. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, yeah, I could have got him. Yeah. 105. Lionel Messi. Two soccer players in a row. How about three in a row? Neymar. Yeah. 
Uh, that would be 105 million, 104 million, and 95.5 million. Then comes LeBron James. And then uh, you got Stephen Curry. I wouldn't have thought of him. 74.4 million last year. Jeez. Kevin Durant didn't even play last year. <laughs> 64 million. He's Steph seven. Curry barely played too. Tiger Woods is eighth. Where do you hear who's ninth and tenth? All right. In the last 12 months. I, again, I don't know if it's 19, 20, or a combination of both. Nine and ten on the list. Kirk Cousins. What? Really? Kirk Cousins is in the top 10 of all athletes in the world in earnings at 60.5. Kirk Cousins and followed closely by Carson Wentz. Oh, my God. I mean, I, but Kirk I mean of Cousins? all the people, I didn't even mention Tom Brady. I mean, of all the people, oh. Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz are in the top 10 of earners in the world of sports the last 12 months. If Kirk Cousins isn't kissing his agent's feet every single day of his <laughs> life, I mean, God. I mean, nice enough guy, yeah, handsome, right. <laughs> can throw a great ball into the flat like me. But, I mean, do you want – I know. Carson Wentz, though, looks like the real deal of I mean, – Kind of, yeah. sort of. Yeah, they won a world championship and Nick Foles was the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Carson Wentz, I mean, okay, Carson Wentz is a top 10 or 12 or 15 in football. Okay, Top 10 in the world yeah. of all sports, Carson Wentz. That's amazing. Wow. Great job to their agents. Nice work. Jesus. You tricked somebody I mean, I, into I could go. I could go further down the list if you wanted. Uh, Tyson Fury is on the list. Guess uh, Russell boxer. Westbrook is on the list. Okay. Some guy named Lewis Hamilton. I don't even know who that is. That might be a driver. Yeah, I yeah, think that's the driver, driver I'm thinking of. Yeah. Rory. Rory. Rory McIlroy's on the list. Jared Goff. I was going to ask where Jared Goff oh, is. I know they overpaid like crazy for Oh, him. my God. Connor McGregor. Huh. James Harden, the Greek freak, is number 18. He deserves it. And then a couple of boxers, Anthony Joshua, 47 million, and a guy named Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder's really good. He's a really good boxer, but... He got manhandled by Tyson Fury. Yeah. I know that because I didn't have tickets to the Jerry Seinfeld show. <laughs> I thought Wilder was going to I paid kill for him. tickets for the Jerry <laughs> that's Seinfeld that's show. That's how you support Seinfeld. You pay for him and don't go. I mean, you're... Well, you'd have to have tickets to be able to go. You pay for tickets that don't exist. Side note, Fraudulent did, you, tickets. did you watch his new special? I told you it was out. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the, the concert, the show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was his best work. I didn't love it either, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to say that to you because I didn't want you to go. I'm a huge it. Seinfeld yeah. fan, and I I liked it, but didn't love it. I yeah, it's weird. I I love hearing him do comedy, but I don't bust up laughing. Now, while you're on the subject, before we get out of here, while you're on the subject of you like to get into every once in a while, um, <laughs> things to watch during the pandemic. Yes, I've got a new thing that I think I'm hooked by, and you didn't even. All I've been doing is really watching things that you've told me to watch. Oh, that's nice, but. The other night, I watched something that my son told me to watch. He said, Dad, I want you to watch this. Mom, you watch it too, but I think, Mom, it's going to be too much for you. It's going to be a little too grotesque or too obscene for you. Okay. It's a show called Hunters. Never heard of it, shockingly. Hunters. Okay. It's on, I believe, it's not on Netflix. He had to put some cockamamie thing in our, and he goes up to the TV and he puts something in. Oh, really? He attaches some sort of a, like a voodoo, not a voodoo. Um, Hulu? Not a Vulu, oh. no. Um, Amazon Prime, maybe? Nah. Prime, Prime should go through your service provider. I don't know. He's got some sort of a, maybe he's- maybe I know, maybe he's maybe should maybe play closer Snap. to the vest. Maybe his great uncle Snap taught him <laughs> yeah. to gaff it. Right. But anyway, he put something in. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it might be Hunters. Amazon Prime. It's called Hunters. Yeah. Al Pacino is the star. I know what you're talking about now. Oh, you do? Yes. I heard he's great and the show sucks. 
You know, the show got, I was looking at the reviews on like Rotten Tomatoes or something, yeah, and yeah. it gets like 7.2. Is that bad out of 10? 7.2 out of 10? I don't know. Well, Rotten Tomatoes wouldn't have us. You're probably thinking of maybe IMDb. I don't know. Because Rotten know Tomatoes, would, it's up to 100%. It's an intense zero. show. It's Nazi hunting in New York. Yes. It's an intense show. I hear it's yeah. not good, though. Are you enjoying it? Well, I only saw the first show, and okay. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to watch the second Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well. I can't, can't promise you that I'll ever make it like to Joe Exotic's number three, number four. I didn't make it to number four in Joe God, Exotic yet. still can't get to that. No, I'm just, I'm not in a hurry. I'm kind of in a hurry to see episode two of Hunters. Where are you with, with Succession? Did you ever go back to that? Have not yet. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're a tough one. You love watching two or three episodes and then bailing. No, I wouldn't say that I love watching yeah, two or you three do. episodes you and bailing. That's all you do. You watch two or three. Yeah, I watch two or three, and then I and then decide, you never go back. <laughs> I decide whether I'm I'm hooked. Yeah, nothing's hooked you. Well, yeah, I'm 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 on like the sixth season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh. You told me to watch that. Yeah, that one got you. Yeah, yeah. I good. still haven't gotten to the to the part on Curb Your Enthusiasm where they have the new butler come in. That's what everybody says. He's the best guy on the whole show. Oh, is JB uh, Smooth? Yeah, JB Smooth. Is it Smooth or Smooth? I think it's Smooth. S M O O V. Yeah. He's a comic. Yeah, I, I once had dinner right next to him. Oh, really? Yeah. But but I've not gotten to the point where he's joined the show. I'm getting close, I think. He's funny on it. Yeah. I, th- I think you'll, yeah. en- you'll enjoy People him. People say he's the best part of the whole show. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because he's the opposite of Larry, right? Larry David. I mean, there are whatever's character. I guess it's Larry David. Is he a housekeeper? What is he? Is he a butler? What is he? I haven't gotten that far. I think oh, so. You haven't even watched it. You well, don't even know what I'm talking. You're talking out of your ass now. I watched some new ones, and he was on it. Yeah, but I'm not sure. What is when he? Is he, he a buddy or is he? A, what, what is he? I don't know how it started, but I think he's just a house guest now. House guest. I think like Kato okay. Kalen or something, okay. where he just lives in the. Okay. All right, one quick one before we get okay. out of here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So two men in Australia. Oh, don't do this. I know what. What are you doing? What are you up to right now, Hotshot Scott? They snuck into a bedroom with machetes after being hired to carry out a stranger's sexual fantasy of being tied up and hit with a broom, only to discover they got the wrong address. (laughs) So these two guys who think they're fulfilling this guy's fantasy go into the wrong house with machetes. The pair from Sydney, Australia made their apologies and left the startled victim's bedside as soon as they realized their mistake. Now, one of them has been acquitted of entering the home. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, uh, oh, I just hit the arrow on accident. But the judge is basically saying, eh, we're going to let this one go. It doesn't look like there's any... Uh, the sexual fantasy was what? Is this a woman's or a male sexual fantasy? Were they visiting a male? They were visiting a man. A man. Now, I was... A man's sexual fantasy was to be hit by a broom? He wanted to be tied up in his underwear and stroked with a broom. Stroked with a broom. That's right. different than hit with a broom. Right. I was trying to clean it up a little <laughs> bit for you. The word stroke well, doesn't sound good. Let me give you a recommendation <laughs> on how to clean it up, okay? <laughs> Don't bring it to the table. That'll clean it right up for you. The judge but said, if you're going to bring it to the table, let's let's get into it. All right, all right. Say. The judge said the conceding the facts of the case are unusual. Um, he he wanted reason- strangers to come in, so these people were strangers? Yeah, I, I think that... The I, fantasy is that two strangers... Go into his house, tie him up in his underwear, yeah. and hit him with a broom. Or like, not hit him with a broom, stroke, stroke him, with him. him. So I think That's his fantasy exactly is means that, stroke him with a broom. I don't know what that means. So his fantasy is that that two strangers that he doesn't know, maybe his they're his friends, or maybe he got him on Craigslist. Who knows? Yeah, come in, like break in. Oh, I'm scared. Uh, please don't tie me up in my underwear. You know. But they got the wrong house. The poor guy who's laying there in bed sees two guys with machetes. Must have scared the shit out of that poor guy. So anyway, the judge says they carried the machetes either as a prop or something to use in the fantasy. It was unscripted. And so he's... Never mind. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. We'll we'll show ourselves out. So 
There you go. Be careful when you hire people to fulfill your fantasies. Where in the process of changing the tire did you have time to look up this particular story? <laughs> I always because have I have a feeling that you find a little bit, you carve out a little time every Sunday yeah. to find just a story that Mitch will be somewhat uncomfortable with. Yes, that's exactly what I do. I mean, I had the, you know, this is what we did for 10 years. I love these kinds of stories. I have my my sources. Piper, can you hold up the car here for a second? I got to look up a uh, story about a guy who likes being tied up in his underwear and then hit by a broom. That's right. I type in. What, daddy? <laughs> broom, machete, sexual oh, fantasy, God. enter. There you go. <sighs> by the way, I saw John Kitten's son is a, now going to be a Florida Gator. So congratulations. John Kittness has a son that's old enough to go to college. Oh, he's the same age as Max. Yeah, there you go. He's, yeah. He uh, he decommitted to Boston College, and he's going to the University of Florida. Put John Kittness in. Yeah, put Kittness in. Uh, put Dilfer in. Guy next to me. Put Dilfer in. Yeah. It's not a, a lot of put Dilfer in at Husky Stadium. I remember that oh. vividly at Husky Stadium. Put Dilfer Stadium. in. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, okay, that's it. That's it. We got a name George, show. George Floyd. Makes sense yes, to me. Yes, yes, sir. Episode George Floyd, episode 94. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a patron, and thanks for supporting our little venture here, Mitch Unfiltered. It's in the books.